This episode is dedicated to Bart the Bear. Over time, he reached the status of a national celebrity. It was as if he had become a star by virtue of his own invention. Now, now, when you're with these grizzly bears, you're surrounded by them. They're very close to you. Is that how you live with them? Yes. I always give them respect and lots of room because, you know, uh, a grizzly's the boss out there. You, but you interact with them? Um, it's important that every bear knows who I am and that I fit on their hierarchy if I'm to survive. Is it going to happen that, that one day we read a, a news article about you being eaten by one of these bears? Um, no. You know, and... and Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a weekly show that's released every Friday, and this is episode 61. On Horror Movie Podcast, you'll hear in-depth horror movie reviews, especially for new releases, with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City, and my co-hosts tonight are... Dave... Dr. Shock Becker, just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh in Medellin, Colombia. How's it going, Jay? It's good, buddy. Thanks for being here. You guys, our, our friend Kyle could not make it tonight, but he is planning to join us again next week. So we'll look forward to that. And then, as we are very privileged to do every once in a while, we have a very special guest. He is one of my favorite guys. He really is. I love this guy so much. I love his delivery. I love his approach to podcasting. And I just like his view about life. I want to welcome back to the show, Kill Bill Kill. Thank you for having me, guys. Yes, sir. Coming from uh, my man cave, I think it's appropriate. Yes, absolutely. Now, (laughs) Kill Bill Kill, a.k.a. also known as Solo on the Sci-Fi Podcast, I got to know, has the Sci-Fi Podcast come back yet with its new episode releases? I've been really excited. As far as I know, that's all in the works. I'm just, you know, your lowly co-host. So I believe there is a producer on this podcast who, of course, would have much more information on that than I do. Come on, Wolfman or Space Wolf. Tell us what the the situation is. We want to know. Well, there are three episodes at least that have been recorded that have not been released as of right now in Avengers and Marvel Cinematic Universe episode, a Mad Max Fury Road episode, and one um, that I don't actually even know what it was with Carl Huddleston from Movie Podcast Weekly. Uh, William Rowan Jr. would know more about that than me, but... uh, yeah, those are just waiting to get up. There's been some technical difficulties uh, with the site. I named it wrong when I initially set it up, and so the feed got all screwed up, and uh, Matt has been trying to sort that out during my move to Columbia. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, there's there's a few things holding up the episodes, but they are all ready to go, so eventually those will see the light of day. Well, I only bring that up for Here two soon. For two reasons, I wanted to show my love, number one, and I know that there are a lot of listeners who listen to this podcast who also love that show, so I was trying to get update and just let everybody know out there, it is on its way. I've been living for the Avengers episode, and I can't wait to hear what Carl reviewed. Is it Blade Runner solo? Well, we had Carl with a K on to cover the top 50 science fiction television shows. (laughs) Oh! So we went through, instead of going through all 50, of course, we went through um, 
our top, I believe, three favorites. Uh, and then, of course, some of our guilty pleasures, some that didn't make the list, and also um, if, how we thought about the list overall. And it was just a real nice conversation about we just hadn't had a chance to get into television specifically. So. Mm-hmm. I know. Yeah, it's a great episode. I know what Carl put as his number one. I won't say it. I don't want to spoil it, but I know already. <laughs> so I can't wait to hear that too. So that's going to be good stuff. Yeah. All right, guys. Well, thanks for uh, continuing to produce the sci-fi podcast. I genuinely love it. So everybody out there, this is going to be our special episode. It's a themed episode that we're calling Grizzly Zone, Blood in the Air, and Killer Bears. Right, Wolfman? Hey, I like it. I, I got the blood. I didn't know you were going to go with the subtitle, but, um, <laughs> I, but I, yeah, I mean, I love, I love the subtitle. I like that it's the Grizzly Zone. Obviously, that's a nod to a uh, yes. friend of the show, Bill Shetty, and I'm, I thought that was brilliant when you came up with that title. Thank you, and I yeah. thought your subtitle was brilliant, so we had to put them together. Yeah, Josh did the blood in the air and killer bears, so I dig that, and yeah, we wanted to give a shout out to Bill Shetty with his former video podcast, Grizzly Zone, spelled with an S. And of course, we're hilarious, so we spelled it the bear way. <laughs> Anyways, before we get into all that, you guys, <laughs> um, I, I just got a couple things to say. I'm sorry about all this, all these shenanigans up front, but, um, you know, I, I've missed this show, and I've got to commend and sincerely thank, publicly thank Wolfman Josh for stepping up to the plate last week, episode 60, he produced his own solo cast edition of yeah. Horror Movie Podcast. It is exceptional, the state of the werewolf. And Josh, you nailed that. I love that show. I had a blast listening to it. Oh, that's good. I mean, for me, I the re- movie reviews are always secondary to the discussion that we have. So I have a hard time with solo casting because... There's no one to bounce stuff off of, and that's where I get all of my pleasure from. But um, I think it turned out okay, and you know, obviously, I, I produce a lot of other podcasts, so it wasn't hard other than just being in Columbia and not having my normal equipment, so the sound quality and things aren't as high as I would have hoped. But you know, it, it worked out okay in the end, I think. Yeah, I dig it. Yeah, so. Yeah. I had one notable exception that one of our listeners brought up, and I apologize, I don't remember who it was, but. They said, hey, what's the deal? You've been promising us a Game of Werewolves review forever now. I thought <laughs> yeah. this would be the time we'd get it. And I totally blanked on Game of Werewolves. I didn't even, as I was preparing my lists of recent films, I didn't even come across that in my research. So I don't know how I t- totally spaced that one again, but I did. And I apologize. And um, eventually we'll be reviewing the new Art House Werewolf movies that are coming out. And Hopefully I'll sneak that into a Frankensteinian episode as well. Yeah, well, we should, you know, we've gotten so many requests for a review of that one. We should do it up a big deal as a feature review. I'll watch it too, see if Doc can watch it, and we'll go in depth on it. I I would actually love to do that. Is it uh, available yet? I can never find it. Uh, You know, I just have not even looked into it yet. I apologize for that, listeners. Well, maybe you can find it in Columbia. I will let you know. <laughs> okay. I will I will take up that torch and, and let everyone know. Love it. Thank you. Now, right. guess what, guys? Um, I'm sure this is probably old news to everybody in the world, but I see, according to Internet Movie Database at least, that Green Inferno has a release date of September 25th. Is that what you've Finally. seen? Finally. 
Yeah, that's what I'm seeing. Now, I don't know how dependable or reliable that data is. I hope it is true. But I've had some really twisted cannibalistic ideas cooking for (laughs) an episode to celebrate the release of that film and to review it. And so um, if that is coming out in September... We're gonna be dead serious about cannibal movies. I'm just are we, saying it. Are, are we are we talking are, are we talking um, Holocaust, Apocalypse, all of the great cannibal movies, or oh, oh yeah, yeah, I think so. Now, initially, you made me really nervous, Dave, when you what? said <laughs> when you said Holocaust. I'm like, no, I won't. I don't think we'll be covering that. But but no. but you're talking cannibal Holocaust. I was, I was okay. thinking since you said cannibal, I was throwing in the second. Yes. Yeah, yes, you're right. You're Cannibal right. Holocaust. That's Cannibal right. Apocalypse. Yeah. In that in that new film, Cannibal Lecter. Just kidding, but wouldn't that I, I kinda like that. Anyways. Cannibal man. I just wanted to know. mention one more thing as long as we're on the topic of Eli Roth and survival horror. Uh Eli Roth is hosting on this week's Shark Week on the Discovery Channel. Uh, at the time of this recording, it is Shark Week, and Eli Roth is hosting a kind of after show called Shark After Dark, and it's been pretty amazing so far. He's doing a great job, and he had Kevin Smith on there uh, recently, and definitely one people should check out if they're into Shark Week. Uh, it's really nice. cool. Yes. Yeah, that's cool. awesome. Now, I was a little, I don't want to say surprised, because Shark Week is very scientific, but in order, like the, I guess the the Jaws-like aspects of Shark Week, I'm surprised that they're going forward with that, considering all of the continued shark attacks we're having in North Carolina off the coast there. Because, you know, sometimes they get really sensitive about that kind of thing. Sure, and Eli Roth is really progressive and scientific in his approach to it, surprisingly. Like, he's, he's always saying, like, shark attack is a misnomer, and... Uh, you know, shark-infested waters are not the way to talk about it. You know, the ocean is their home, and we're the ones that shouldn't be in there. And so he, he's actually, like, the shark people, like, the shark scientists love Eli Roth and the coverage he's doing. So it's oh, been pretty nice. It's been pretty quality. I'm impressed. Yeah. See, you didn't expect that, did you, William Rowan Jr.? No, it's more like human-infested waters to the sharks, right? <laughs> right. Right, yes. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Or smorgasbord, as they call it. Yes. And while we're on updates here, um, recently in our Hollywood horror episode, we talked about um, the Hollywood sign girl, Peg Entwistle. And I saw here on Deadline Hollywood, this was from September 2014. So this may have fallen through. I don't know. But it says the headline is actress who leaped to death from Hollywood sign finally getting her movie. So I don't know what's happening with that. But according to this, there is going to be a movie about her. So Very interesting. I, I guess is we'll it, watch for that. Yeah. Is that written correctly? Finally getting her movie. Did she die or no? Yeah, she, she died back, way back when she dove off the um, Hollywood sign in 1932. Yeah. Committed suicide. It just seems like that's not doesn't make sense. She's finally getting her movie. She's dead. She's not getting anything. Yeah, I think they were trying. <laughs> it's almost like a, a black humor kind of joke because... She was regret. She regretted, and, and she was so sad because she didn't really get in the movies like she wanted to. And so now she's getting a movie, and it's kind of distasteful. So, Anita yeah. Bush, you can go to hell. Like, <laughs> that's the lady who wrote that. I think that's disrespectful. The horror movie podcast spits in your direction. 
Anyways, wow. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but that is a little distasteful, right? So Yeah, and other news. You mentioned Kyle wasn't going to be here this week, but he actually is going to appear on this episode of the show, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> You're exactly right. Tell him, Wolfman. Well, Kyle was really keen on discussing Jurassic World and the Jurassic Park franchise as horror films, as monster movies. And I think everyone else was really dragging their feet about this idea. But he, you know, he had some good points and we had a discussion about that. And that will appear on the end. Is that correct, Jason? Yeah, this episode. The very end of this episode, we spend about 20 minutes talking about Jurassic World. And um, I, I do have, I guess it would be weird to say it now. But, well, first of all, let me just ask Dr. Shock, have you seen that yet? I I haven't gotten to the theater in... The last one I saw was the Avengers movie. <sighs> and that was like a week after it came out. So, no, I just haven't... Just with work and everything else, I haven't had a chance to get to the theater. Dave, what am I paying you for around here? <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. No, I'm just kidding. I, I, well, I'm earning the money you're... Let's, I'm earning the money you're giving me, put it that way. <laughs> Touche. Very good. What about you, William? You've seen Jurassic World? Yeah, I saw it. Yeah. Nice. Boy, we're just we're just cruising along, right? Yep. Well, we haven't well, actually started the, the topic yet, but <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> this is just like this is uh bear country, everybody. That's cruising where you along, are. along but not actually getting anywhere. Yeah, we're not going anywhere. Okay. So, I think we're at that special point in the show we were going to kind of warm everybody up, warm them into the idea by talking about actual personal bear stories, like personal encounters, personal bear attacks maybe. I don't know. I don't know what we have on this panel, but I think Kill Bill Kill has a bear story for us. Yeah, I have a family story that has been told, man, for at least five generations is this true and it is as true as stories around the campfire are true i would say it's more true than not but even when i wrote it out i had to narrate it in a way that i thought flowed and by doing that alone i added my flair to it so sit back and and uh, enjoy this little tale of mine so the story begins with my great great grandfather is Charles Elliott Rowan Sr., also known as Charlie, who came to Grass Valley, Utah in 1873 from Hawaii when he was 12 years old to become a cattle rancher. Why would anyone do such a thing, you might ask? Well, because he was converted by Mormon missionaries, and that's where they were from and what they did. I kind of secretly wish he stayed in Hawaii, but that's a different story. Your life would have been so much better. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but eventually he settled in a small rural town called Anemone. It's located about 200 miles south of Salt Lake City, 400 miles due north of Bryce Canyon National Park. That's southern Utah. So Kyle Bishop was just a, at uh, Thor's Hammer this weekend. He had pictures up on Twitter. So was he able Interesting. to Was he able to pick it up though? That's what we wonder. <laughs> he tried. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, so to say that Anemone is a one-horse town would be a bit of an exaggeration. Uh, there's definitely more cows than people. The population <laughs> has averaged about 100 over the past 50 years. So my point of setting all of this up, which is relevant, is that this story takes place in the middle of nowhere, where it was and pretty much still is pretty wild and a lot of wilderness where a man and his family are mostly on their own. 
So the story of Bruno the Bear, as they called him, has been told, like I said, around the campfire for generations, well before me. So it's told at the same place in Anamone Town, at the same old house that my grandfather was born and raised in, which has no running water currently today, and an outhouse as the only means to do you know, stuff like <laughs> powder your nose and whatnot. Anyway, the story is told at night around the crackling fire with the endless stars in the night sky overhead that you can only see away from modern civilization. You're not a Rowan until you hear this story told by the elders and let the fear sink into your little child heart. It's tradition, a rites of passage. Every Rowan from my grandfather has a good, healthy fear of bears. But I digress. The story continues with my great-great-grandfather, Charlie, who owned a large herd of cattle. And for about 10 years, from 1906 to 1916, Bruno the bear had his reign on it. Char Charles claimed that the bear knew his brand because he suffered the heaviest losses. The bear's favorite meat was young cattle, of which many were killed. The bear's method of attack was to jump on the victim's back, bear her down, tear her open, and eat the lungs and choicest portions of the carcass. Bruno the bear killed 38 cattle in a 10-day span, and it would just eat a small portion of each cow. Wow. This was oh. not your average bear, even for a grizzly, which would be scary and uncommon enough in the area. Bruno had an appetite that could not be filled. He had found an all-you-can-eat bovine buffet and now had the size and means to keep it. And even though Bruno's appetite seemed only for cows, my grandfather said that there was a real tangible fear that the bear would become a man-killer and that no one was safe to wander anywhere alone for everywhere at the time was wild in Anamone, Utah. Ranchers and town folk tried to kill the bear, of course, but it was impossible to kill it with guns from a distance because of the thickness of its fat. The bullets only lodged in it. But finally, after 10 years of living in fear of this monster-sized bear roaming around the countryside, Bruno was killed. It was March 16, 1916. It seemed that the bear had recently emerged from a long winter's nap. It knocked down a cow belonging to Charlie, my grandfather. The cow was not dead when they found it roaming, but had all the meat on the tip of its shoulders and part of the back torn off and devoured. Then the same day, the bear ate a recently dead horse, estimated to be at least 200 pounds of meat off the hindquarters. So Chess Riddle, the son-in-law of my grandfather, and, or my great-grandfather, and Reuben Jolly decided enough was enough and rode out to hunt the bear down. They shot Bruno many times but could not kill it. And whether it was because it was getting old or he was weighed down by his recent gorging, the bear finally slowed, and after a long chase, was finally shot in the head. After they cleaned and skinned the bear, it was found that its hide contained over 30 bullet holes in it. <laughs> As the hide was placed over one of the workhorses, its paws touched the ground on both sides. The bear measured 8 feet from tip to tip and weighed a ton. The fat on its back was 8 inches thick, and its forefoot measured 14 inches. At the time, there was not a, a rack large enough to properly tan and preserve it, so they had to send it to Oregon. The bear became quite famous because its story not only found its way into newspapers, but into a national sports magazine as well. Mrs. Riddle, 
Charlie's daughter, salvaged more than 150 pounds of rendered oil from the carcass, which she used in making homemade soap. I'm adding this part. I'm sure they felt a sense of pride every time they cleaned their dirty parts with the bear fat soap. (laughs) (laughs) The bear skull was sent to Dr. Griffiths in Washington, D.C., and he frankly admitted that the skull was the largest he had ever seen in the lower 48 states. Obviously, Alaska holds all the records. And these facts were all verified on January 18, 1971, by J.W. Humphrey. So to end my story, my grandfather... He would tell all the grandkids this story, this includes me, at least once a year, and he would end it with taking out an old, creased, black and white photo from his wallet of the bear hide and passed it around for us to look at. You guys have no idea what it was like hearing this story as a kid and seeing the photo, knowing it was at least somewhat a real story. He kept it, uh, the photo in his wallet his whole life, as far as I know. Uh, The last known grizzly bear killed in Utah was 1923, so after Bruno, in Logan Canyon, Utah. But I have surmised that Bruno the bear, the bear we're talking about, is the second to last known large grizzly bear killed in Utah. So, guys, that's my story. I've been told the story my whole life. And like I said, every Rowan that I know, at least from my grandfather's side, has a good healthy fear of bears. And every time we're out in the forest, we're always kind of you know, looking around <laughs> because we, we've been told the story for so long that uh, we just saw it just, I fear bear. I think bears are everywhere, even in my backyard. You know, when people say like they're swimming in a swimming pool and they, they think there might be sharks in there, it's just this fear. Yeah. Yeah. If I'm in my backyard at night, I think there's probably a bear somewhere. I get paranoid. <laughs> I love that. Oh, wow. I'm, I'm, I'm clapping right now. That was a brilliant story. And I tell you what really enhanced it for me. Now, William, I know you're presently in Utah as well. I don't know if you can hear the thunderstorm, but it's storming outside. And as you were telling that, there's thunder going on and there's rain. And it was like a creepy, you know, goosebumps story. I loved it. Thank you. (laughs) So, yeah, so it it never became a man killer, but its method of eating just either young cows or not even killing the cow sometimes or just eat part of it and let it live was not normal behavior for grizzly bears. Right. Wow. So it's kind of its own monster bear and its own, or a glutton bear at least maybe. Yeah. <laughs> and the size just of it to, if that's Yeah, just to give you a sense of the size, Bart the bear who uh you know this episode is dedicated to that was in films such as The Edge. Uh that bear was about a foot taller but weighed 500 pounds less than Bruno is supposed to have weighed. <laughs> so Bruno was a gigantic bear. <laughs> And uh, yeah, and not to be rude to the Rowans, but we're kind of big people. We're kind of we carry a lot of extra weight, also. So I don't know if that's a coincidence or not. Or, <laughs> <laughs> hey, but uh, I'm gonna send you guys some pictures of all this, so you guys can see the proof. Yeah, and if you don't mind, I would love to include it in the show notes if you have sure. digital. Yeah. Yeah, it's all. I'll send it to you. <sighs> Thank you. All right, it'll be in there, courtesy of William Rowan Jr. and his family. So thank you. That That is an excellent story. Yeah, it, that's excellent. I mean, we don't have many uh, campfire tales on here, like actual legitimate ones. And so that's great to have one on Horror Movie Podcast. Okay, so uh, Josh, you said you have some bear stories too? Well, mine's going to be kind of hard to follow after a legitimate <laughs> campfire tale. <laughs> but I'll, I mean, mine mine did happen to me, I suppose. It, it, it's There's really nothing in my story except 
for the fear of the bear. But um, I, you know, was working in Alaska making a documentary over a period of about two years, off and on. And I was working with this hunter um, who was a friend of mine. And, you know, he would take me out hunting moose and things. And I was filming. He was hunting and I was filming him hunting. Um, he's a native Alaskan that was raised in the wilderness. And and so he'd take me into areas, you know, that he grew up in. But for me, were pretty crazy places to trek. And there were several times when, you know, he'd say, oh, look, there's bear scat. And it would be fresh and steaming. Or, oh, look, a bear slipped there last night, you know, and where it's currently like six in the morning when we're going through there or whatever. So it's not like there were there were many times when I felt in danger. And we went through an area that I found out later was called, I believe it was called Grizzly Haven or at least Bear Haven. And so we had been in this area for about two days, including camping. And um, we he killed a moose and, you know. We needed to, he needed to butcher that moose and get it back to the boat, which is about two miles over uneven ground, marshy ground. And um, normally I would have filmed him during this process. And at one point while I'm filming him, he's like, you know what? Uh, The blood is in the air at this point. You should probably just put down the camera and help me do this or else, you know, we're going to be in some trouble with bears pretty quickly here. (laughs) So I said, okay. (laughs) So um, I I helped him butcher this moose, which, you know, uh, up until this point, I had been a vegetarian. Um, And so, you know, I I knew going to Alaska, I was not going to remain a vegetarian, but I had never, certainly never butchered a giant animal before. Um, And that was, that was a first. And as I have its blood completely soaking my sweatshirt and jeans, um, he hands me a half rack of ribs so that I, you know, have to lug out of the swamp and it, the ribs of this moose are going from the top of my head down to almost touching the ground. I have to kind of like stand up straight so they don't drag on the ground. And I'm walking. <laughs> it's almost like a cartoon when like like someone sees their friend and they turn into like some like rotisserie chicken or whatever. Like they're, on, they're like I'm walking through the bear country with a giant rack of ribs over my body, oh completely my covering me. And, and and I did that trip three or four times to get the entire moose out um and we're headed back down the river back down to the village and they see where they had seen a dead moose earlier buried in the ground you know so what the bears do is they'll kill the moose and then they bury it in the mud and then that kind of keeps it cool so they can come back and feed on it later and so we had seen this moose buried in the mud earlier on the way up river and he had said oh yeah like a bear did that and once we came back we saw this bear feeding on the moose and so immediately he pulls his boat over to the shore and him and all of his friends jump out of the boat and start chasing this bear down with their rifles and I don't know what to do at first I'm sitting there and I'm like I guess I should film this if this is happening so (laughs) I get out of the boat with my camera and all I have to protect me is a knife now it's a big knife it's a kabar you know marine knife unbreakable blade you know, pretty large for anything most people would do. But when it comes to bears, pretty much useless, you know, (laughs) about the size of one of their claws. So I'm walking through the woods with knife in one hand, camera in the other, trying to film and trying to see these guys. And I, all I see is them disappear around a corner into the woods. And I'm standing there by the dead moose carcass. And I can hear these guys yelling and shooting off in the woods. And I'm just thinking, 
if this bear comes back, I'm just dead. Like that's it. You know, I can't right. follow them in there now because they're so far ahead of me. <laughs> if I get lost in there, I'm screwed. So at that point I was just like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to be a wuss about this and just head back to the boat, which I did. And we were camping out one night. They killed this other moose and again, blood in the air, blood in the water. And he's like, we don't have time to make it back tonight. So we'll just leave this butchered moose here next to our tent and go to sleep. And then we'll take it back in the morning. And I was like, well, um, you know, oh, so I was like, okay, well, if these guys think it's safe, I, I guess it is. And I noticed that he's like laying branches down around the edge of the camp. And I'm like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, this is a game trail that we're camping on. Wow. And, I, I'm say, and I say, what's that? And he's like, well, that's, you know, the the moose and deer and things like move along this path. And then this is where the bears come and like hunt them and look for them as well. So bears, you know, come, will come down this path all the time. And I'm like, okay. And he's like, so if I put these branches here, we'll hear it if it's trying to sneak up on us. And I'm like, do bears sneak up on you? And he's like, well, a grizzly wouldn't. A grizzly would just come busting through if it was interested in us, or it just wouldn't come anywhere near us if it wasn't interested in us. But a black bear will hunt you. Like a black bear will sneak up on the ground. You wouldn't even see it coming behind you. It would sneak up on the ground, low to the ground, up to and get you while you're sitting around the campfire without oh, you know, a second thought. <laughs> and so um, I was like, I'm going to sleep in the boat tonight if that's okay <laughs> and that's again what i did i went back to the boat locked myself in and slept with my knife on my chest <laughs> so i had i had a few of these crazy experiences i'm sorry i'm going on so long did you need a bigger boat josh <laughs> i needed a bit much bigger boat I, I, the last the last thing i'll share with you is i was in this little village and i got an email i was just you know i went to this place that had internet access and I was checking my email and there was one from my mom and she said I had a dream that you got killed by a bear attack last night Whoa. and I was like Shoot. well um, I'm coming back to Fairbanks on a plane in the morning so that won't happen so don't worry about it and then I get a knock at my door at like 5am at this little cabin I'm staying at and it's my friend Rico and he comes to the door and he's like hey um I thought we could hurry out and go try to get one more hunt in before your plane leaves. And I was like, okay. <laughs> and I have a really bad feeling about it, but I get on the boat. It's freezing cold, five in the morning. And um, he heads back into the Grizzly Haven. Of course, why not? And um, we're walking through there. And again, it's hot, steaming, bare scat is on the ground. It's bright and early in the morning. And we're walking, he takes me across this muddy marshy area where the water has gathered and you step on it and it's ice, but immediately like the ice is so thin, my feet would break through the ice and then get stuck in the mud underneath. And so then you'd have to, I'd have to like literally use my arms to pull one leg up out of the mud. And then while I was doing that, my other leg, I had so much weight on it would then break through the ice and into the mud. And so I was doing this trying to follow him. He made it all the way across because he knows the methods. And I realize I'm stuck in the middle of this like 50 yards of just marsh, totally stuck in the mud. And there's fresh bear scat and everything like everywhere around me. And I'm just like, oh, this is where I die. Like the, I, I like <laughs> saw the mud, like I'm going to die stuck here with my feet stuck in the mud. And so I just said my goodbyes to life. And that was the most real life has ever been for me. Cause I was just like, okay, like, I, this might happen right now, so I'm just going to make sure oh. like I'm going out and I'm saying goodbye to everybody and everything, <laughs> and this is it. Wow. And I did that, and life has been different since that moment, I will say. <laughs> but that was, a, that was a very real moment for me. 
I, I and, just yeah. so anyway, so I've had some crazy experiences out in the bush, and so the bear thing to me is very scary as well. That is crazy. What I don't understand is these people you're with. They don't sound very smart or very considerate of you. Like, why were they? Such- they were not very considerate of me. I will say that he's a nice guy. He's again, he grew up out there, and so he is second nature for him. Like, I, I was. This is the follow up. I was looking at his Instagram earlier today of this, the day of this recording, and one of his, one of the photos is his two year old daughter standing by some grizzly bear tracks. <laughs> <laughs> Wow, and she's smiling, right? And I'm looking at it right now. I'm pulling it up. It says Scarlet checking out some grizzly tracks, and she's just sitting there with a big smile on her face, little two year old, and there are gigantic grizzly bear tracks next to her on the ground. The very next photo is his like 11 year old daughter inside the very cabin I was sleeping in, the one that he knocked on the door and woke me up. Mm-hmm. It says. Had to shoot a bear through the cabin window this morning. Good thing Simone woke up and alerted me before it got inside. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, that was today he posted that. So, um, oh yeah, he's goodness. just part of his life. And, you know, and he let me document that as part of my job. So I felt very <laughs> blessed once I was out of that danger zone, the grizzly zone, so to speak. Wow. <laughs> well done. <laughs> Bravo. That was excellent storytelling. I love it. I love it. Okay, Dr. Shock, you're up. What do you got? Uh, well, I watched a couple bear movies recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about those. Yeah, seriously. Yeah, that, that's that's I don't I was I've been I think the the only thing that's ever happened to me was driving up upstate Pennsylvania and way in the road in front uh, a baby bear. I, it was for work and I was with one of my coworkers and a a baby bear went running out into the into the, like across the street, and I stopped. I mean, I stopped a good forty yards back as soon as I saw it. And my coworkers like, "No, move in closer, move in closer." I'm like, "Screw you!" Because where baby is, mom is sure to follow. Yes. So I just let it go, and then waited a minute, and then continued on my way. That's the only time I've ever really even seen a bear. Wow. Um, you know, and in, in my I haven't been camping all that often, and fortunately now, now I have even less of a desire to go camping. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, good. I'm glad you're safe. Yes. And I'm from West Virginia, and there are bears there, supposedly, but they're kind of rare or hidden. I've never seen them, and I've only seen a bear in the zoo, and I prefer to keep it that way. I actually <laughs> live my life in such a way <laughs> where I get all of my thrills in life from women no, I'm just kidding. From <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> from like movies, actually, from the cinema, because I love to live dangerously in a vicarious way where I'm simultaneously absolutely safe. So, <laughs> not as interesting for podcast storytelling, but you know, I'm still here. I guess. <laughs> anyway, you guys are cool. Those were great stories. Thanks for telling us and listeners out there. If you have had close encounters of the bear kind, let us know. Uh, tell us your stories. You can send in a voicemail. You could email like an audio clip or just call our voicemail line at 801-382-8789 or just leave a comment in the show notes for episode 61. Okay, guys, let's move into our uh, discussion of this genre. Now, are we calling this 
a, basically a killer bear sub sub genre of horror. Like, how should we define this? First of all, well, that's something I a question I had for you guys because okay. I thought. Jay, you love your beastly freaks. Yes. I don't know if this qualifies for you. You've got your survival horror that you're a big fan of. <laughs> I don't know, you know, how how this fits that genre. Love Some it. of the movies we're going to discuss operate as slashers, I would even suggest. Yeah. And, you know, I know William Rowan Jr. has his own classification that he calls hunted, the hunted genre. Right. Um, I think there are a lot of interesting thing some of these could be siege narratives definitely yes um so how do you think about this when you think about it oh me okay well thank you yes i i love it you're you and i have been podcasting together for a long time and you can tell because we're starting to think the same josh i know that's very alarming to you but like like <laughs> the thing <laughs> the thing is that's exactly how i thought about it i'm like okay these are technically beastly freak movies and they're also a hybrid with Beastly Freak. They're also technically survival horror. So really, a killer bear film is kind of the ultimate Jay of the Dead movie because it's a Beastly it Freak be. and a survival <laughs> horror. The problem is there aren't a ton of these. And the bigger problem, which is a question, and then I definitely want to hear William Rowan's hunted thing. But my question, which relates to this, is is a bear a monster? Is it a sufficient monster? Can we classify a bear as a monster? I have an answer, but I just like to go around the panel and see what you guys say. Dave? I think they can be. I mean, you know, in, in much the same way that, uh, say, a shark can be a monster. Mm -hmm. um, uh, or St. Really, Bernard? I mean, are they... Are they monsters in the classical <laughs> sense well no but dinosaur certainly yeah but you certainly don't want to run into one you know and and i think that um <laughs> you know uh, yeah i i would think that they can be again it's it's sort of stretching the the definition a bit but mm -hmm. i think i think they can be um monsters and especially the way they're presented in some of the movies yeah, well, it brings to mind there's a line in Jurassic World, this is not a spoiler, but there's a line, something to the effect of, it depends on your perspective. I mean, to a canary, a cat is a monster. So, yeah, since yes. bears can eat human beings, um, I say, yes, they're monsters. But what do you say, William Rowan Jr.? Uh, yeah, so, yeah, I think a bear in its natural state, if it's hunting you, <laughs> is horrifying. And I'm going to see that as something that is, you know, trying to kill me. It's a monster in that scenario, but it's in its. If you looked at definitions, that's in its nature, all right. Uh, it's, it, you know, it's it's going to eat you. But you do have, in reality, still rogue, often man eaters or rogue animals, animals that are acting out of uh, their usual behaviors, and I think those are like the next level where it's getting closer to, uh, you know, getting a little closer to monsters because you're like, this isn't normal behavior. I, you know, another example are with those, a good example, which again, it's probably exaggerated, but those two uh, lions, what was that movie with Val um, Kilmer? The Ghost in the Darkness. Yeah. I mean, it had two lions that were working together 
and we're somehow created a taste for man and we're hunting them specifically that's even more terrorizing even than a normal lion they're right? like serial killers of animals basically sure. but then you do and then and then you have yeah the dinosaur one i think grizzly the the 1976 it presented like this is not only a big bear this is a bear that doesn't exist as we know it this is way bigger it's 15 feet tall which is huge and they're saying like maybe it somehow survived from its you know i and i don't know the name you know the whatever the bigger prehistoric if that's even the right way to call it the bigger grizzly bears you know that grizzly bears came from and so that's like okay so now we're even gone to that next level of i guess there were these huge bears that did live and it's this idea, what if they were still living somewhere and we just didn't know? I mean, I'm assuming maybe even Sasquatch could fit there if you believe in such things and right. yetis or whatever. Um, but then we just have straight out monster bears where they're doing things that just don't make any sense at all. They're completely monsters. They look like a monster. They look like a crazy rabid bear, you know, that's just doing crazy things that wouldn't make any sense. But I don't know if any of those were in any of these movies we saw. Do you guys? Hmm. Um, well, uh, there there are some interesting things like um, in the movies we saw. I mean, I would say, I mean, I don't want to get into it too much till we get to our reviews. But I would say again, I think one of at least one of the bears that we're going to talk about operates as a slasher movie kind of killer, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting. Um, you know, I think you've got a movie, and I agree, I totally agree with everything Williams just said. By the way, I think um, you could look at. A na- you know, a bear in nature, I, um, you know, on one hand, I come down kind of like we said about the shark thing. Like, look, it's their environment. Kevin Smith always talks about the ocean. He says, you enter the ocean, you enter the food chain. And that's legit. Like, that's, uh-huh. that's true. And, and, you know, the same thing is, is goes with the woods to some degree. You know, you're in their environment. And so you can't be mad at them. And, and I don't think it's fair to call them monsters for uh, following their natural instinct. But when you have a rogue animal like Bruno the bear that you know Williams family had this run in with or like a lot of the bears in these movies or even in real life like with Grizzly Man the documentary when you have a bear that's not acting the way it's supposed to act then you know that becomes monstrous and then you could take it a step further from survival horror into the beastly freak zone with something like Grizzly or I would say like Prophecy from 1979, which is one of my favorite B schlock movies mm-hmm. where you literally have this mutant bear. that's totally ridiculous, but it's, you know, it's a, it is a monster. They make it look like a monster. And so mm-hmm. there's that, I guess, part as well. Well, something that interesting that comes up here in my mind as we're discussing this and hammering it out is the fact that human beings, I mean, just human beings aren't typically monsters, but when you have a human being, behaving strangely as we've discussed here and killing um, like a Michael Myers type where that's just what they want to do is kill. Then yes, they became, they become a monster and it seems like it fits for the animal kingdom as well. When they're killing out of the ordinary, then it is also monstrous. Or as they say in Jurassic world, he's just doing it for sport. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, exactly. And there are, there is potential – I don't think there is a movie that has done this, but there is potential I know for uh, Native American lore of skinwalkers who can change into all sorts of different things and in their history. I know bears are part of that, but I don't know if that's ever actually been made into a film. 
Oh, neat. There's a movie called Skinwalkers that's kind of more of a werewolf movie. I don't think it follows the true Skinwalker legend. Um, <clears throat> I believe, isn't Thunderheart with Val Kilmer have Skinwalkers involved with it? There's not been a good Skinwalker movie, though, as far yeah. as I know. Hmm. Or focused on a bear that that's what it was behind, you know, right. which would be a monster, I think. Yeah. Well, here's a problem with, with bears as monsters, though. This is something that kind of bothers me. Because of the freaking teddy bear, <laughs> I mean, bears do look cute. I have to say, they look cute. And when and in some of these movies, when you finally see the bear, you're like, aw, he's kind of cute. He's kind of cuddly looking. <laughs> You know, and, and they would not seem that way if they were attacking you well, and eating you walk your face. Up, you walk up and you walk up and give him a hug. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> that's well, yeah. When we have a film that we're going to be discussing of someone who basically did that, and <laughs> right, yeah. so yeah, right. like that's a mistake. Don't do that. But the, it is weird. I like what you said though, that's great. Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I mean, the idea that it becomes a you know a human can become the monster too. I mean, I always defend. Misery and Silence of the Lambs is horror movies because I think that those, you know, Hannibal Lecter and, and Kathy Bates character are two of the best on-screen monsters I've ever seen. They are, to me, are terrifying movie monsters. And yeah. so I know that you don't agree with my point, but I, but I do think, yeah, you see a human turn into a monster um, through monstrous actions. Well, for the record, I, I know, like, a lot of people do argue that those are horror, and I, that doesn't bother me, honestly, because I can see the argument. So I... I can see that for sure. Right. And, I, I guess I'm saying I, I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, and I think. Uh, by the way, I think the Kathy Bates character in that film is terrifying. So yeah. I'm totally with you. Okay, so um, any anything else we want to talk about here, as where we're talking bears as monsters, or or the genre itself? Like, okay, so is this a like a sub sub genre of survival horror then, because since these are typically set in reality and since these kind of films are typically not some kind of mutant bear or mutated alien bear or something, it's, it's not, you know, it's a very conservative. Well, it's, a growing, it's a small genre. Like it's a small sample size. And I think maybe that's why we're hesitant to say, yeah, this is a sub genre, but think about it. You would definitely say shark movies are a sub genre of horror mm-hmm. because there are so many of them. And I, I think Dave made a great point. Like if jaws can be a movie monster, so can a giant grizzly bear. And um, it doesn't have to be a mutant necessarily to be a movie monster. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think, Killer Bear is a legitimate subgenre, which is not one that we have a ton of movies uh, compared to, say, Killer Shark well, movies. Well, I, I think the greatest siege narrative of all time is Cujo, and that's just a St. Bernard with rabies, and he yeah. is a monster. It's just a dumb dog, but he's a monster, right. you know. So. Well, and I don't know if you are you going to do a full review of the movie Bear coming up, or are we just going to talk about it in passing? We'll kind of talk about it in passing. I mean, I was going to say, I don't know if this is getting ahead of the conversation for you, but I feel like Bear has a lot in common with Cujo, and it has a lot in common with Exists. Um, you know, it's it's got two thematic elements that kind of exist in both of those dog and Bigfoot movies, you know, but it's a bear this time. And so, yeah. Well, have you have you seen that one, Bear, from 2010? Yourself? Yes, oh, I watched good. it. I just, I just watched it for this. But oh, well, great! I'm so glad to hear that. I, I'm actually really excited to hear more of your thoughts because I try to tell people all the time to watch that movie and they just don't do it. So, 
I, I hope you don't regret well, maybe watching. don't ask me to review it then. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I think there's actually... Now, for that particular film, it is a killer bear movie, yes. But there's something about it that's very interesting. I mean, is do you think now is the time to, to discuss that, or should we save it till after sure. the feature reviews? No, we can get into it. Okay, so everybody out there, there is this movie... It's called Bear. It's from 2010. And um, I really like the cover art, by the way, on this. If you get a chance, I would recommend it. It's not a tremendous film, but here's what's neat about it. You basically have this family, um, and and they, they do get stuck in their vehicle, kind of Cujo-esque. But what's really interesting is you've got a killer bear for, like, the first half of the movie. It's been a while since I've seen it, Josh. But... In the middle of the movie, we get a revelation about this family, and this happens many times in horror, where there's like the inter-conflict between the characters, and we get a a revelation about them that's absolutely, um, you know, it's kind of shattering. And in in this movie, Bear, I think it's unique and notable because that revelation, when it comes out, it's like... Oh, this bear thing, this bear threat is secondary to the drama going on right now with this family because this is some heavy-duty stuff, way more intense yeah. than the bear. I mean, did you think that was cool or not? Yeah, I, I like that. I mean, I think it's more interesting than when, you know, some of these movies we're going to talk about, like with Into the Grizzly uh, Maze <clears throat> Hidden Grizzly 1976, those are both both all the dramas centered around the bear and the people trying to stop the bear. And I think that can only go so far. I mean, my absolute favorite bear movie is The Edge. And I think that movie, there are life or death stakes that are in, in three elements of the story. There's the bear, there's the survival, and then there's the interpersonal things. And so, yeah, I like that. I think to me, something like the edge is better because it is still life or death. Yes. Um, you could make the argument that bear. Um, yeah, it is more, it is very interesting, but it's still, but it's not life or death in the way that um, the edge is. But I think it's interesting. I mean, I thought you, I, the reason I thought you recommended this is because of the Cujo aspect of it. No. Um, it's it's solely for how nuts it gets in the middle. I'm like, wow, yeah. that's insane. And and like seriously, like I don't really care about dramas typically, but yeah. the drama. In There's that also a Native works. American element to this that William was kind of talking about too, where the you know the bear has kind of like a Native American spirit, you know, connection as well. Neat, neat. Now, Josh, just to clarify, so do you? Do you consider The Edge to be a horror film, or is it just a great threatening bear entry? In it's cinema? something that I've been thinking about a lot, and I think when I rec- you know, when I said we should discuss it briefly, I was thinking, well, it's not really a horror film, but we should at least talk about it since it's a great bear movie. The more I've thought about it, it is a survival horror movie for sure, and I think the fact that the human stakes are also life or death, like as I just said. I think it totally qualifies. I mean, I think most people would call it a thriller, but there's a killer and there's their, you know, their lives are in danger the entire time. And it's legit. It's scary. Like it's really scary. In fact, I think the problem I have with even Barry, even though, you know, it's pretty well done. I don't think I've ever seen a movie where the bear is as effective as the edge. That to me is the epitome of a bear attack in a movie. I just have never seen it done better than that. Um, you know, Bart the bear who plays the bear in that movie 
is one of the greatest bear actors in history. <laughs> He's the only bear actor that ever got an Academy Award nomination. Um, he <laughs> was nominated for the movie The Bear. Uh, he was not even allowed to win it, though. I, apparently, there's a rule, which I think is insane. And you guys might know this as um, as the Oscar experts on the show here. But apparently, animals can be nominated but cannot win, which seems like a really weird rule. Do you know why that um, is? No, Because they why? have no shelves to put it on? <laughs> That's a very good theory. <laughs> but the official answer is because... If the animal wins, then there's nobody to give a freaking boring speech when to say thank well, you. <laughs> the animals have trainers, you know, in this case, <laughs> right. it's uh, right. some, somebody, Seuss, Doug Seuss, is Bart's trainer. He lives in Heber City, Utah, actually. Mm. Um, but, yeah, Bart showed up when they uh, did a tribute to animals, I guess. Mike Myers was hosting a tribute to animals in film, and Bart the Bear came out on stage and handed... Uh, Mike Myers, the envelope, which I think is pretty cool, the seventieth Academy Awards, but uh, that, that's a digression. I he his performance <laughs> in The Edge is terrifying, literally terrifying all the way through. It it scared the crap out of me every time I've seen it, and it holds up. I just think, um, I think it's for me a definite entry in survival horror, and I think uh. the difference between that compared to other movies is you see the bear and the actors interacting constantly. Like um, Anthony Hopkins does a lot of his scenes with the bear, which is very rare for an actor of his caliber. Mm -hmm. This is also a big budget movie. And so they have a lot better photography and it's shot with the bear a lot more than a lot of these smaller budget movies don't have the money to have the bear on set as much. And so you get a lot of these long shots like of the bear far away, say attacking a minivan and then you get a guy in a suit flailing his arms around and it looks ridiculous, doesn't look like actual bear. With the edge, it's the bear. It's it's like almost always the bear. <laughs> and this is pre-CGI too. So the bear is in their faces, just just how just these crazy bellowing howls in their faces, and it is scary. And I don't wow. know. I think it's awesome. <sighs> Man, I, I tried just just for the record. I tried so hard to revisit this because it's been. I, I mean, I'm fairly sure I saw that. It was '97, right? I, I tried really hard to to revisit it, but I fell asleep during the intro the other night. It was just too late, and so I I am going to revisit this, Josh, because of how much you've talked about it. But Jay, this is a must own for you. <laughs> this, yes, you you love all of the elements of this movie. And you've got David Mamet writing the script. I don't know if you want to classify it as a horror movie. I'm happy to let you have that. But this is survival at its best. And it's got an awesome, you know, scary bear scenes in it. It's got, you know, Academy Award winning actors. It's shot super well. And it's just at a higher level than most of the survival type films you're ever going to see. So I think for you, it's a must own. Whether Mm -hmm. you are happy to classify it as horror or not. Well... Um, David Mamet writing the screenplay. It's just, you know. That's pretty cool. That's very cordial of you to say that. And I I will tell you that um, I have a new segment, which I'm introducing tonight, which is my survival horror segment. (laughs) And uh, the the first one is a bear movie, which is one of our feature reviews. But I will review The Edge on a future episode and give my two cents on it because I just... I, I could have sworn I've seen it, but I have no recollection of it, honestly. And so I guess can, that just doesn't count. But William? 
Yeah, can I add my uh, podcasting talents by saying ditto? Because I didn't realize we this was our chance to get into the edge. <laughs> D- do it. Let's hear <laughs> so, it. So ditto. I was saying ditto to everything Josh said because I don't know how much time you want to spend on this, but this is still my favorite bear movie that I've seen. I think it is by far the not only the best film as a film as a whole, but also I think the bear, like Josh said, is is by far done the best or most believable or the way that it's edited and also the mixture of because it's not entirely the real bear the whole time but it is mostly and the way that it intercuts is very well done but but with that the suspense the drama the acting the acting like anthony hopkins is really really good in this movie mm-hmm. his acting is yeah. brilliant so is alec baldwin in fact those two i would argue there this is some of i know that alec's done a lot of things but um, I think that they are top-notch together in this film. Um, I would be surprised if, if it, you, know, you could argue that it's, it's not the best, some of the best acting in, in the genre that it's set in. I think it's great. Plus, the bear isn't the real... Well, it's only part of the threat. I mean, I don't want to be a spoiler, but just the fact that you know, being hunted by a bear is the least of your worries in this movie should give you a hint that there's a lot more going on than just a bear chasing people. Yes. So anyway, I love, I love this movie a lot. So I just wanted to say that because I didn't know if we were ever going to come back to it. <laughs> Good. Well, thank you. What do you say, Dave? Do you remember The Edge? I do not. I, that's one I still have to say. Okay. See, 1997 is that foggy area because I was uh, a missionary at that time. So I know I didn't see it in the theater or anything, but um, you know what? Maybe I didn't see it, you guys. That's super lame. I feel lame. I did try to watch it, Josh, though, because you... What the hell are you saying about me then? I didn't see it either. (laughs) Well, I'm just saying that Josh, you know, Josh encouraged me and told me and told me and, and I did try to watch it the other night. But I fell asleep. I really did. Right in the beginning. I will say I, I noticed. I noticed it's available on Amazon on DVD for under five dollars. You've got so to I get did, it. I I did pick up a copy and it's on its way. Well Sweet. done. Well done. Okay. Well, we'll be talking about this probably in our next episode, right, Dave? <laughs> yeah. Sure. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Because now I'm super intrigued, and um, while while I have energy. I wish I could go watch it right now. But you know how the beginning of movies, a little bit slow. And if you start, like I started at like 1130 at night and I was like right. zonked out. <laughs> I was gone. And it also totally qualifies for my hunted genre. So I know that it's not a monster, you know, horror necessarily. But I kind of pulled a, I basically, I basically started having a list of these movies I loved. And I said, what is the one constant in these different genres that is making me so attracted to all these different films. And I had just kind of picked up that there's this hunted element that has to do with whether it's monster or real or land or water or space or whatever. And, and often it's usually people are being picked off one at a time. That's often a, a theme to my hunted, you know, like something that kind of qualifies. But anyway, uh, the edge jaws, alien tremors, Jurassic Park, Pitch Black, you know, Predator, The Thing, even The Ghost in the Darkness. Slashers movies. Yeah, you know, here's the thing. The reason Slashers and Zombies, which totally do qualify, but they're so big, maybe even Vampires, so big of their own genre, 
Um, I often don't involve them, but I, I should. I should take my favorite ones that really fit, like being picked off one by one and put them in there. Yeah, like Halloween. Are there any, are there any other rules that you can let us in on that qualify it for the hunted genre? <laughs> well, sorry, I guess I didn't verbalize very well. So the two that I came up with, which were not very complicated, was one, you have to be being hunted. The theme of the movie is being hunted. As- <laughs> <Right. Okay. laughs> that would be the first one. And then the second one was usually it's like a, the, the way that the structure is kind of um, being built to is, you know, you're, the sub characters are being picked off one by one until you get to your heroes or hero. Okay. And then I had a question for Jay about your Beastly Freaks theme, because I was wondering if I didn't know that you were going to be okay with classifying this as a Beastly Freak. Um, and I started to wonder if, you know, after my conversation about where last week on the Werewolf podcast, I, do the Beastly Freaks have to be freaks in, in some way, or do they just have to be beasts? So, like, would um, would Open Water work as a Beastly Freak movie, or is that only survival horror? <laughs> oh, that's a great question, because that's when we really start splitting hairs. See, my what I call Beastly Freaks, I think a lot of people would refer to as a creature feature, except um, my, my fact is, or my, my take on it is, Beastly Freaks are animals that kill people. So, it could be a regular dog, like Cujo, that kills people. Because in, in that way, loosely, he is a freak because he's usually a dog's man's best friend. Yeah, he's usually, oh. you know, uh, dogs are man's and woman's best friend, right? <laughs> right. So, uh, but but yeah, and, and of course, like Alien, clearly. But no, if it's if it's strictly, let's see, but I would call Jaws a beastly freak movie. So uh, yeah, I would have to say Open Water is beastly freak in my book. Okay. But I think it's I think it's more... But, you know, is it more of something else? Yes, I think it's more survival horror because, and, and by the way, well, I'll, I'll be getting into that in a little bit. I'll save the survival horror sermon for a few minutes, but okay. but uh, we'll come back to that. Okay, so anything else you guys want to say about um, this subgenre, <laughs> this budding new, uh, okay, I, I got a question about it real quick. I don't, there, number one, there aren't that many of these bear movies. And I wondered if you guys had any thoughts on why that is. And there aren't that many that are very well done. Uh, kind of like the Bigfoot movies, actually. And there are a lot of parallels there. So, do you think it's a matter of, first of all, it's hard to pull off bear attacks. Just like it's hard to pull off a Bigfoot suit. <laughs> and, I don't know, is that too pedestrian a horror concept? Is it too everyday life to be a horror movie for people. And maybe, maybe it's a marketing thing. Like maybe it's hard to market that. And I think for me, pound for pound, blow for blow, I think the bear movies are usually better than the Bigfoot movies. For one thing, usually the Bigfoot movies, the creature looks bad most of the time. Werewolf movies, similar kind of thing there as well. Oh, yeah. But at least with at least with bear movies, you usually get a shot of at least a real bear at some point. <laughs> <laughs> so you know that is one thing it has going for it is you get some believability in it you know I, I don't know yeah and 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 it's maybe more relatable like where you know there's not the skepticism that comes along with a Bigfoot movie maybe I see yeah I mean go ahead William no you have a good you have a good question that I have not explored to enough to where I could answer you but I do think that 
I think that open water or like the ocean gets a little bit more attention because it's what you can't see that's below you. So it's it's innately mm-hmm. insanely scary just from the premise that you can't see it coming. Mm-hmm. So you just be like, right. yay, I'm swimming. I'm swimming dead. <laughs> you know? Yeah, but – but we love in you know as horror fans we love the slashers in the woods and a grizzly bear should be able to fulfill that same function in a movie you know i mean in the edge for instance there's a great scene around a campfire where michael from lost you know has some unfortunate encounters yeah. and that's terrifying and it's in a shot like a slasher movie might be shot yeah, it's, it's and and I think well. into the into the grizzly zone or into the grizzly mm-hmm. maze has some very slasher like scenes. Oh opinion. yeah, well, yeah. In fact, it's it is the very nature of the stalking of the bears and the picking off one by one, which really qualifies it on what William was talking about the hundred subgenre of his in in like a Michael Myers type slasher. I mean, that's exactly how Michael Myers functions. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, and Grizzly 1976 is totally a slasher movie. Oh, I mean, yeah. That bear is stalking them just the way a killer would. And I think that's where the edge is maybe different, is, is it feels more believable. Like, it feels like a real bear would be attacking you this way. Like, even with Bear from 2010, again, that has more of a connection to exists. Like, it has, it seems like this bear has its own reasons for what it's doing, <laughs> as opposed to... Um, you know, the edge where it just feels like this is a animal out of control, you know? Right. Yeah. So it's interesting. I think we've uncovered something here. We've really underscored how, how parallel I think killer bear movies are to slasher films. Yeah. I mean, you think about Cujo, which again, bear 2010 has some connection to that. And Cujo, I, I, you know, my big complaint with that was I wish this dog was smart like that's the the reason that you know the scene for me in Scream where uh, Sydney's inside the police's jeep and the killer's outside the jeep. The reason that's so scary to me is that the killer is sentient and screwing with her. Cujo is scary, but he you know he'll go back and sit on the porch. You know he's not thinking of ways to terrify this character whereas a lot of these bears are like a lot of the bears are more proactive at at least in the these movies compared to a cujo Mm -hmm. and i'm not saying that to take down cujo i'm just saying to me that's an added element of like the stalker hunted kind of thing that's good and i have a question so i know that grizzly 1976 came out before john carpenter's halloween and i know that john carpenter's halloween is credited with really taking the first uh, POV from the killer's point of view. But when I saw Grizzly, 1976, I was like, well, that this seems almost like John Carpenter was inspired by this then. I mean, yeah, it's a bear, but it was filmed very similar to me. I mean, I would have said nice. he must have seen it, I, I, or maybe not. I, did you guys know? Like, has anyone well, I don't think... I think he's credited with popularizing it and the use of the steady cam. I think there probably are a lot of people that would credit him completely, but you know, as we've talked about, like it goes all the way back to something like M or, or something where we see that killer POV. And and even just a few years before in a slasher black Christmas. Yeah. It's in black Christmas. Those POV shots a lot. Um, 
in that one as well. It's just, I think for him, it's that steady cam thing where it's like moving from window to window and right. it feels like it's going up the stairs. And so it has yeah. a different, you know, it has a more extended feel to it than a lot of what we'd seen before that. But I know those kind of shots, maybe not uh, to the extent of going upstairs. I'm, I don't know if bears can, but um, there was definitely, <laughs> sw- <laughs> there was definitely movement, uh, you know, like dollying through the trees as it's watching yeah. people. And like I, the waterfall scene is a yes. total slash, like the epitome of a slasher movie scene. <laughs> the girl's like, I'm just going to go soak my feet. And then she strips <laughs> down and splashed in the water yeah. and the, and the killer's stalking her, you know, and it's mm-hmm. very much a slasher movie moment. Yes, it is. It's interesting. So why then, and, and this might be taking it too far for some of the listeners, but you know me, I can't help myself. <laughs> why? <laughs> why are bear movies built like slasher films? Like, why is this done? Is it because bears are inherently just hunters, just as slashers are hunters? Hmm. It's a good question. Plus, I don't I, know. Yeah, I'm well, not sure. It, you know what? It depends if the bear eats its prey, because if it eats it, I'm going to say, well, it's part of nature, even though that was horrible and scary. But if it if it just kills the victim and then walks away to kill another, then I feel like there's a difference there yeah, in motivation. I, I think you're yeah. right. And in slashers, they usually, as we've discussed, they pick them off one by one. And it seems like bears would, I, I don't know, I'm not super familiar with bear attacks, but, you know, generally they probably, you know, catch one animal or person and then keep going, but I don't know. Yeah, You just got to be faster than the... <laughs> That's the slowest, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's why I'm always the one that's going to get eaten. But that's why I had kids, so I could throw them behind me. <laughs> Anyways. That's brutal. <laughs> Anyways, let's talk about Grizzly Man from 2005. It's a documentary. Now, first of all, I want to ask our documentarist friends here. This is something, I mean, since we're talking about this film on this show um, you know, how do you want to handle the the spoiler aspects of Grizzly Man? Like, I mean, how do we want to do this? I, you know, I don't think it matters to spoil this. Not because I don't think it matters to spoil documentaries. I think, um, I think it does matter. I don't think you shouldn't spoil documentaries just because they happen doesn't mean mean just because they really happen doesn't mean everyone knows the story. But to me, the outcome of this film weighs heavy on you from the outset. Um, it's obvious. And I think pretty much you have the sense, yeah, that this is going to happen yeah. before uh, you even and begin I, watching the movie. They pretty much, I think they let you know what happened right up front, too. Well, you know, like it, yeah, earlier in the film, it seems like characters refer to him in the past tense, right? Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, give us, the, give us the premise there, um, Wolfman Josh. Okay, so Grizzly Man is a Werner Herzog film, um, one of the greatest living directors who goes back and forth between directing documentary that are next level in terms of the strange human element of what would would seem like they would be just a typical documentary subject, and uh, fictional films just like the remake of Nosferatu that he directed, for instance. He's a German guy that's totally crazy, and he also directed some of Jay's favorite films as well. Um, 
Yes. Fitz Caraldo and what was the other one that you think uh, is amazing? So amazing. Agira, the Wrath of oh, God. Oh, Agira, Wrath of God. Wrath of God. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He, he's one of the greats, uh, one of our great living filmmakers. And uh, he tells us this tale of Timothy Treadwell, who was a guy who was kind of this self-styled savior of the grizzly bear. He was a weird kind of vagabond drifter guy that somehow made his way to Alaska to the nature preserve and thought that he would position himself to protect the grizzlies. He <laughs> loved the grizzlies. He wanted to protect the grizzlies apparently from poachers, although we don't get the sense that any poachers actually existed. But it yeah, seemed like because, more to me that because, he was shooting a pilot or some kind of documentation for his own television program. He seemed like he was trying to be a crocodile hunter type of character um, and trying to shoot you know, basically his own homemade television show. It's the type of footage that could be used had he survived. Um yeah. As you know, footage to cut to in a reality type of show. You could easily shoot high production value wraparounds for the stuff. And in fact, Werner Herzog takes his footage and pretty much exclusively uses it to tell the story of Timothy Treadwell. He's this guy who he lived out in the wilderness, often alone, often in touch with these giant bears. Um, and he comes to really unfortunate end uh, due to. What, like we talked about before, kind of this rogue bear that wasn't acting the way it probably should have. Yeah, an inevitable end, really, when you see it. When you see the film, pretty much everybody knows. This, well, that's true, too. This that's guy's going to get eaten. Like, there's it's no doubt. Edible end? And- huh. <laughs> Not edible, inevitable. Oh, okay. That's terrible. I, th- terrible. I think that, and one of the things that they touch on in the movie also is the fact that his video camera was running during the attack. The lens cap was on, so you don't have video of it, but you have the audio of the bear finishing them off. Oh, my gosh. You and guys shook me. You just, like, brought the emotional impact back to me. Yeah. It's the, it's yeah. the craziest thing I've ever seen. Yeah. It is, and, the, and there's a scene where Herzog is listening to the tape. It's in possession of, of a very good friend of his who herself has never listened to it and refuses to listen to it. Herzog was listening, and he does say, you know, they, they have the camera on him, and he's very good at sort of the dramatics, um, but he's like, you know, turn it off. Um, I he, think he, you have to destroy the tape. Um, it's always going to be sitting there. Like yeah. Yeah, yeah, he narrates, though, what's happening. As he's he, listening, he is. so late. He, can, he can hear say, "Get away, get away," um, you oh. know, and, and uh, I can imagine it, it must be horrible to listen to. Oh my goodness, yeah, but you know, but it was the tasteful choice as a filmmaker. I mean, it was tasteful; it was not exploitative because you know, had they put it out on the documentary, that would be pretty tacky, I think. Yeah. But what's yeah. most interesting about that, in the context of a a horror movie podcast is the fact that that is actual found footage or audio found, you know, audio, right. basically. Right, Where it's like you had this horrifying thing happen, they found this tape, the camera, and there is a death, a monster attack, and there are killings on it. So and I think what's, yes, exactly. And they so they this was something they had to recover from the site. Mm-hmm. You know, so this is, a, this is like a genuine found footage. Yes. Um, and I think another thing it's that's several things about this movie that are just so, so interesting is, yes, this 
this guy, even even interviewers who are sitting down with him, you know, like like network interviewers are sitting down saying, "Are you crazy? You know, do do you not realize what's going to happen at some point um, right. with this?" But you see in you see in him when when he's in the videos he's putting together, you see like the genuine glee that he has for being there. I think he went there like three months a year, four months a year, something like that. Um, and he looked forward to going there every year. He would say to this woman, um, the one who now is in possession of the tape, she'd be like the last person he would see going in. Um, although there's there's a little bit more of that. He was trying to make it look that way in his movies, but he did have his girlfriend with him at the end there because they both were killed. Um, but he would always say, if I don't come back, this this is what I want. This is This is where I want it to be. Um, and you see that you definitely get that vibe off of him, uh, in, in this movie and that he does really genuinely care for these, for these animals. But, you know, Herzog makes a point is like, when you look at the bears, you see nothing but cold, you see nothing but their black eyes mm-hmm. looking back. Like, do they, do they share his affection <laughs> or is he That's just so Herzogian. Yeah, it really is. Nature <laughs> is evil. <laughs> yeah. What does he say in like in the Fitzcarraldo <laughs> documentary? He's just like the jungle, all it is is death. Yeah. Yes. Oh. Yeah. But, it's but regardless, it's Timothy was totally deluded himself that these bears understood he was unique amongst you. Yes. Like he cared. They could feel that he loved them and was protecting them. He was projecting <laughs> hardcore yes. onto oh, his reality. Absolutely. Yeah. He was he was somebody who got I think he did it for like twelve years or something like that. He's he just basically got lucky for eleven years. Maybe it was thirteen or he got lucky for twelve. I can't remember exactly. But um and what had happened was he had wrapped up for that year. He had left. He had gone away. And then at the airport he had a very tense exchange with, with somebody at a ticket booth for their plane that was late. He got so angry that he felt like he had to go back there just to sort of mellow out a little more. All of the bears he knew had moved out and new bears had moved in and it was a bear he knew he was not familiar with at all that ended up killing him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if and if you watch this film and you think, okay, this guy who's deluded and hanging out with bears, if you don't think that he's, you know, a little bit, I guess, unwell from from that, there there is a sequence that they capture that, that Herzog shows us where he gets on this political rant and he starts going insane, like ranting his head off in front of the uh, <laughs> the camera. Yes. And, and you kind of see it in him then and you're like, OK, this guy. Yeah, maybe he wasn't completely, you know, he wasn't he yeah. wasn't completely there. I mean, it's yeah. interesting. He could have been in cheers. That's one of the points they make. He was one of the last two actors up for the role of. The assistant bartender uh, who became Woody, played by Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson won the role. Timothy Treadwell, I think, was next in line or was like the runner up for it. I don't know if it still would have been called Woody at that point. Maybe it would have been called Timmy. I don't know. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> you know. But um, I thought that was interesting. He was sort of a failed actor. So it sort of brings the whole, you know, let's videotape this and let's put something together. Yes, I, he definitely wanted to do something with this footage at some point. This was yeah, not just Herzog, all for him. And Herzog is very respectful of him, but you can tell that Herzog thinks he's wrong. He's oh, pretty yeah. clear. that, and, and he also shows us a peek behind the curtain. As, as respectful as he is, he shows us 
who he thinks this guy really is. And, and you see these moments of him doing, you know, multiple takes and things like right. that. And you see kind of these peeks into his character as Herzog sees him. And some of what he's filming is, is genuinely like horrifying. Like the two bears fighting each other. And, and as big as those yeah. things were at the <laughs> yes. time, the, yes. the one, one thing that always strikes me is the bear that was scratching its back against the pine tree. And you got you don't really have a perspective at that point. You know, he's like taking up most of this pine tree until Treadwell goes running in afterwards to say what a big bear he was. And he's like maybe about a quarter of the size of this pine tree. <laughs> right. And you look and say, God, this thing, this thing was a monster. And he's just saying, what a big bear. What a big bear. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <I was> like, <laughs> I wish I had really... you on my ringtone saying that. <laughs> like when somebody called me and having Dave say, what a big bear. <laughs> like, pretty, <laughs> pretty bear, pretty bear. Pretty, pretty bear, yeah. And the, and the one scene where there are poachers I thought was interesting. He's there to protect the bears. The one scene where there are poachers, he's hiding. Yeah. And he's sort of lamenting right. the fact that they're throwing stones at the bears and he he will he like he 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 comes across something that says "Hello Timothy" written on a stone, and and he gets very paranoid about that. Yeah, yeah. You know, so there definitely was something, something, yeah, definitely a little touched. Well, yeah. So in, in terms of killer bear movies, I mean, in a way, this certainly does qualify, and it's a true story oh, yeah. of a killer bear. But this is a ten out of ten for me. This is a this is a buy. It's oh, yeah. definitely a must-see. If you guys haven't seen this, it's worth your time. I don't know how many people would revisit it over again, but I just think it's incredible cinema. And, and when you think of the damage a bear can do, what did they recover? They recovered um, Treadwell's head and a bit of his spine. And I think of the woman, I can't even remember, oh. a hand or something like that. Oh, and that was gosh. all that was left. But this is a must-see. This is a perfect film. Um, this really is one is. of the movies that they revamped the Academy Award rules for documentaries because films like this weren't getting nominated just because of the way the rules were. And this was a film that won, like, 20 Critics Association Awards, like Best Documentary from the New York Film Critics, the L.A. Film Critics, the San Francisco, the Chicago Film Critics, the, you know, and... And but it didn't even get a nomination that year, and it, everyone agreed it probably should have won that year. And right. so, um, you know, it's probably the, one of the best films of the aughts of you know of that decade of the first ten years of two thousand. It's it's a must see. I would agree definitely. Yeah, yeah, and it's a top ten like all time favorite documentaries for me. But um, what do you say, William? Yeah, I agree with all of this. I'm on the same page. The only thing I would add is which I have been fighting off because I, I tend to not want to expose myself too much. But, I mean, I have a very serious emotional response watching this film. Now, it could be in combination to my real family bear story, and maybe I'm projecting myself onto letting the dramatics enter and run amok and not stop it. But I believe the climax of this film is so intense for me that I, even if I was to rewatch it, if I was t- trying to study it or, or see how technique was done with something, I don't think I could ever see the end of this movie again, where they really get into even what Doc just described. It's, it's, it's real with real people. And even when you have like this guy who knows maybe what he's, what he's playing with here, you know, he brings in this, I would think, 
his girlfriend, which I think even complicates it even more. But then she's a victim of it. And I just think it's so it's so tragic. And obviously, just like uh, what Josh said with uh, Kevin Smith, which is like you not you're not just in the woods somewhere. You're in grisly territory. You're in their domain and they will eat you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. It's that simple. Exactly. Well, well, now's as good a time as any to say this is uh, honestly, um, of all the deaths, I always say that if I could go to a Jurassic Park and get eaten by a dinosaur, okay, I would do that, actually. I would like to go that way. I think a T-Rex would be pretty quick way to go, just a chomp. But, like, seriously, getting eaten by a bear or, like, a lion, that's got to be one of the worst possible deaths you could have. Oof. I mean, I can't even imagine because they're eating you while you're alive. I mean, I'm not trying to be disrespectful to anybody who's died in this way, but it's like one of the most horrifying things I could even imagine. And, you know, this this isn't a bear, but this happened to a friend of mine recently. And I'll just touch on this story real quick because this is a terrifying story. It terrified me when he told me Um, they have a house and it's backed up to a field not so much woods, but, but a field with like taller grass in it. Um, and they've been, you know, they've been there for a couple years now. Well, one night they're in bed and they hear from their backyard, what sounds like a baby crying, like just, just crying and crying. And it sounds like a baby. They can't tell for sure, but it sounds like a baby and it seems like it's in peril. So my friend gets a flashlight. He shines it out there. He can't see anything. So they say, you know, we got to call the police. We gotta have somebody, you know, because he was a little nervous at this point. He's like, "What's going on here?" They call the police. the 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 cop goes back there with a flashlight. He looks. He sees nothing. And at that point, the crying had stopped. I mean, it had gone on for five minutes when the cop pulled up and it sort of stopped when he was out there looking. Well, the policeman goes. He goes, "Okay." And as they go, finally, three minutes later, it starts up again. This crying, this this like real like loud sort of shrill crying. Um, and they're like, what's going on? Well, the cop hadn't left yet. He was filling out his report. He gets out of the car and he goes, look, I- I'm going to go out there again. Let me grab a flashlight. Well, he, when my friend was out there with him, they see a fox looking up. They catch its eyes, the fox looking up. And they caught it in the flashlight. Well, what it was doing is it was eating another animal alive. And that was the animal crying oh. what it was eating. And it went on for a good 10, 12 minutes, this crying. I know, so I know just that imagine, rabbits have, they have cries like a baby, I happen to know. Yeah, yeah. so that's probably it's what true. it was, is it probably had a rabbit, and it was in the middle of eating it alive. Oh. So imagine that with a bear now. I mean, this thing took 12 minutes to eat a rabbit. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. yeah. I mean, guys, I've, I've imagined this very thoroughly. I you know, saw the face of my wife and children and <laughs> fought back to my mom saying that she had a dream I was going to be eaten by a bear. I was like, well, I, I very much thought through my own death. It was, it was wow. a crazy experience. Well, and that's the problem. And we see this in these killer bear movies. That's one of the things that's so chilling. They are so powerful that no matter what you did, like even if you had a weapon, you can't, you can't stop them. They're just unstoppable forces. And I, I just, I can't even imagine being in that situation and not being able to escape it, just having to endure it and experience it and have your last moments be an awareness of 
pure terror. Whew. Chills. No thanks. Yeah, seriously. That's why that's why I hang out in my house and watch movies about bears <laughs> instead of hiking and so forth. <laughs> Anyways. So as far as Grizzly, okay, here's what happened, you guys. I just want to say one thing. This is Grizzly 1976. It's um the one starring Christopher George. This is a very popular, very famous horror film. That's rated PG, actually. And a lot of people refer to this as Jaws with Paws, right? Right, Wolfman Josh? Actually, I think Jaws with Paws was Cujur. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's right. Well, the thing is, this is even more... Jaws with Claws, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is even more of... um, Like, seriously, I cannot believe how closely this film mirrors. Like, the story beats. I mean, so many elements of, of Jaws are right here, like way more than Cujo even. The poster for Grizzly says, the most dangerous Jaws in the land. (laughs) (laughs) I love that that you said that. So um, I just want to clarify something for people here. I know people give me a lot of crap about some of my ratings. Of late, Mad Max Fury Road, which I revisited. You guys will be happy to hear if you haven't heard that yet. Uh, Also, um, The Conjuring. So, yes, sometimes I do mess up ratings. <laughs> whoa, too, whoa, I did not hear about The Conjuring. I don't know how I missed that. But well, your- you know, I, I have, um, I, I'm going to revisit The Conjuring because I really think that, yes, I was probably too hard on that. I'm going to revisit, I'm going to re-review it, and I'm going to re-rate it if necessary because yeah. when, when I, as I think about it, I feel a lot more fondly about it than a 5.5, but anyways... So let's table that for another time. But but I do but but as far as Grizzly goes, I actually in my on Movie Podcast Weekly in my nineteen seventies horrorathon, um, I reviewed this and let's let's just remember so I gave it a four, I called it an avoid. And a lot of people were mad about that. But the thing is, you know, as a general horror film, it's really not a super great horror film, if we're being honest. Now, as far as killer bear movies, if you're if you're looking for something in this genre, then okay, I mean, you gotta watch it. It's one of the films that I think is necessary to see. But I mean, really, you guys, come on. Is this a great movie? <laughs> no, no, no. Well, no. let's put but it there's... let's put it this way. There's dialogue at some point, uh, around a campfire at night when they're trying to figure out what they're dealing with, and uh, somebody says, quote, Referring to the bear, he could be listening to us right now. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That, there's that scene that we talked about where she goes to the waterfall, the cooler hills, and that is some of the worst acting I've ever seen in a movie. It is atrocious. Although she is a lovely young lady. Sure. Yeah. She really looks like she wears that uniform all the time. <laughs> yeah. it, it looks like she got it right out of the costume shop and put it on like... <laughs> I've never worn a hat before. Well, the thing is about Grizzly, I mean, uh, it does do some pretty, I think, especially for a PG film, which we know the PG-13 rating was not in effect yet at this time period, but it does some pretty strong things. Like, for example, a kid gets attacked in this movie by the Grizzly and is bloody. I mean... It's not just bloody. They're a limb 
Yeah, I mean, lost from the child. I mean, I was just gonna say, Jade, that's by far that is the best kill, most disturbing kill, as far as horror goes. Like I was watching it at no point cared was or was really you know suspenseful. But when I got there, I was like, holy crap! Like where did this come from? This is messed up. I actually thought from the very beginning it was pretty good in terms of the kill aspect, but I just don't think. It didn't seem it's it's not realistic at all. It's so fakey looking, but it's still yeah. pretty intense. Like there's some intense kill scenes in this movie. But I mean, like, like toward the end, it gets way better when it ramps it up, right? But in, in the beginning, you're seeing like I even think that first face mall that we get is scary. I think huh. it's a scary face mall. Wow. But it looks fake. It doesn't look real, but it's intense, and you know. Yeah. No. I'm, yeah. I mean, I think it's definitely. I think it's a respectable entry in this very short list of these these uh, killer bear subgenre films. But and and I think if you're going to see killer bear movies, you have to include this. But I, I just it's kind of the classic entry, whether it's good or not, is another <laughs> discussion. Yeah, yeah. But but honestly, this rips off jo- Jaws so closely. Like as far as like the characters, like there's a Mr. Hooper type of character in this, and. I mean, I mean, it, it's just, Obvious. it's yeah. nuts how close this is. And it seems like that, um, you know, what is it? Peter Benchley should have gotten some kind of a kickback or something for this. <laughs> anyway, that's Grizzly. And I, I, you know, I think it's, it's worth, if you want to see a horror film, it's a four, avoid. If you want to see a killer bear film, eh, probably have to watch it at least once. I kept uh, picturing like the other bears in the forest being, you know, interviewed or interrogated about, you know, did they do any of these murders? And they keep saying like, I didn't do it. It was the one armed bear because all these kills were like this weird, like empire strikes back with the wampa, like this weird side arm comes in <laughs> and swipes down. And I'm like, is this bear? Like just like this one arm killer bear. It's always well, the same arm. <laughs> well, yeah. And you got like, I mean, horse heads fly off in this movie. <laughs> I mean, you got limbs flying everywhere. I mean, just on one swipe. I mean, it's amazing. But yeah, so maybe worth your time. Maybe. Uh I saw it uh for free on YouTube, so I highly recommend uh watching it like that. <laughs> right. Okay. Now tell us a little bit about um Grizzly Park. I know you saw that one too, William. Yeah, so uh, yeah, so I googled uh, where to see Grizzly Park 2008, and it said full movie right on YouTube again, so I'm like, Phew, that's great. I don't have to go through much effort. Uh, I don't know if this is any good. doesn't seem like it is, just from a lot of things that I can kind of get from posters and and that kind of stuff. Anyway, so I started watching it, and uh, well, let's just say... My understanding, because it was all in French for some reason, that's probably why it's free, <laughs> was that there were some kids, and I think that they were like, like, in, like, uh, there were a bunch of, you know, young adult kids that were like in a jail or in some sort of youth prison for, be- like, they're bad kids. These are the bad seeds, and they're, they're, you know, I don't know what it is, but they're like being. I love escorted. that you're reviewing this movie that was in French. This is <laughs> yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah. So, it's just what I'm seeing. They're being escorted like into a van all together. And, and and my my understanding from what my eyeballs were seeing is that they're like, let's take these kids out into the woods. They're they're gonna get their hands 
hands-on experience uh, with nature. <laughs> you know, they're going to have to cut their own wood and then, and we'll just like work their, their grumpy, you know, juvenile delinquent problems out of them. And of course, I think like, uh, naturally it's like, there's a bear all of a sudden. And I think other animals, maybe even wolves too, but mostly a bear that's just like, no, we're not having this in our, you know, we don't want these delinquents here either. <laughs> so they start being killed, I think. But of course, guys, it's not, it's a 40 minutes until, uh, you even see a bear. And, um, and I, I logged this in. It's an hour and 15 minutes before the first kill of a teen. And the movie is only an hour and 30 minutes long. <laughs> so <sighs> I can't imagine. could care less if it was in English. That fact alone, I was just like, what are these kids talking about for so long before anything is even happening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so course- I was really excited to see this movie because, you know, the poster looks like a B or C sci-fi channel type of a movie but it looks kind of cool like it's a you know interesting looking poster and the the imdb synopsis for the film says eight young adults are sent to do community service at grizzly park there they are hunted by an escaped serial killer along with the animals of the forest wow so i thought that sounds perfect yeah did you it's i didn't even hear william mention a serial killer i missed because that's That's not in the movie, really. Like the movie, the movie starts out with the serial killer, and he escapes from prison and kills a guard, um, and then poses as the guy, as the officer, and takes over this community service project from these like delinquent kids. And he's at, he's so he's posing as the officer, but he's really the escaped serial killer. Oh. But the thing is, is he gets wiped out. First, if my memory yeah. serves, that's so the forty he's minutes. I think barely in the movie, like he's really a non-factor in the movie. I was expecting to see them being stalked by a killer and the bear at the same time, which sounded awesome. Mm-hmm. But that's not at all. <laughs> but not like you need a killer, a serial killer, when you've got bears yeah, killing it's just people. Some, <laughs> it's just something new. It's something different. But that's not what it is. It's a total. False, like you know, it's like one of those um, clickbait things on the internet where it's like, oh, this is not at all what I thought I clicked on to read. And and I can say like the last fifteen minutes that I saw, which took way too long to get to this point, I I believe they were going for a complete comedy uh, in a horror setting. So I mean, mostly comedy. The kills were, I mean, hilariously ridiculous. Not even like I wouldn't say they're they're not trying to be a B movie. It was trying to be funny. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, it's listed as comedy horror on IMDb. <laughs> so, just so you know, I mean, there are there are heads being swiped off in a ridiculous way, and other private parts uh, in a in a total like ridiculous uh, situation. So wow, uh, I am ready. You guys ready for this? So even though I saw it in French, which uh, maybe if someone challenges me, if they if they dare. Uh, to see it in English, this will be, I think, my lowest rating I have ever given on any podcast uh, on this network and otherwise. <laughs> so this is uh, two and a half, and my rating <laughs> should give you enough to what I think you should do with it. I, I, I think Josh said once that I said when it, uh, something I like, I said put it under your pillow and give it secret kisses. Yeah. This definitely qualifies for take it in the backyard and shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, zoot the lore. Oh. Yeah. Wow. 
I mean, being a horror fan, I've seen a lot worse movies than this, but it's not a good one. <laughs> I gotcha. So you've seen it, Josh, and you've seen it in English, I presume? <laughs> yes, I saw it in English, not, uh, in your... not French. Okay. <laughs> nice. So that's uh, Grizzly Park from 2008. It sounds like that's probably an avoid for you too, Josh. Oh, yeah, it's definitely a avoid. I don't know what I would rate it, but pretty low. <laughs> pretty low. <laughs> Our scale doesn't go that low. Okay, that's awesome. Well, if any of the listeners out there are familiar with any Killer Bear movies that we have not discussed this evening, are there any that you guys know off the top of your head that we've, we haven't mentioned? Because it seems like there was one other... When I saw Bear from 2010, there was another one that was um, out there as well, and I don't know if it was Grizzly park or what it was but it seemed like there was one other one i didn't get to back then when it was streaming on netflix i mean like werewolf movies there are thousands of like no budget just terrible bear movies out there i don't i think we've talked about most of the significant entries in the in the genre now when you say thousands are you being serious (laughs) because okay maybe there's maybe 30 really bad low budget movies you know that look like they were shot for a couple hundred bucks as well so wow okay interesting well i don't i don't think we've missed any of the big the big there are a lot of bear movies i mean just look up the uh the um filmography of some of the bears in these movies and you'll see that there are a lot of bear movies but they're not of this kind of survival horror nature i gotcha okay well listeners if we've missed any that you think that we should definitely see let us know in the show notes for episode 61 okay so i think that wraps up this part of the podcast where we talk about the subgenre of the killer bear Day of the Dead's Survival Horror. How am I doing? Sure you want to know? Does your boyfriend always get his way? Yes. Hello? Hey! You're ready to go. Your canoe will be right down there by the water. Need him out? Nope. No, I know this park well. Bear spray. You're not gonna need it. I would be lucky to see anything bigger than a chipmunk. Of course you're going that way. This is the way. All right, and at this point in episode 61 of Horror Movie Podcast, I have a brand new segment, which we're also going to double as our first feature review. Okay, guys, so the, the first thing I want to talk about with Backcountry here is... The interesting uh, distribution or release of this, because um, correct me if I'm wrong, but but help me out with this. It seems like, okay, first of all, I watched this to about two months ago on Amazon. But, yeah. but prior to that, I had heard people probably two months prior to that. So we're talking, what is that? The beginning of the year, like January-ish. I remember hearing people talk about this very movie and um and and then finally I got to see it later and it has a release date of March 20th and so Josh and I both got to see it but then Dr. Shock when you went to see it and William they took it off and what does it say doc uh it says um you can pre-order it and it will be available September 1st 
which is uh, just coincidentally the same time that the Blu-ray and DVD are going to be released. Wow. <laughs> so it was released, and, and this has actually happened on other with other films on Amazon. They'd have it out there for a little while, and then they'd take it back. Now, Josh or William, why do they do this? Well, I have no idea. I know that Amazon used to have a section that showed um, which Prime content would expire at the end of the month. So it was usually several hundred pages of movies and TV shows, and you'd have to make sure you got your show. If it was a TV series, you had to finish it before the end of the month because it'd be removed. And obviously these contracts have to do with leases that expire or com. You know, maybe they're, I, the only thing I didn't know is maybe they're like, these leases are complicated now where it says like you have it for this early time, but then we're going to shut it down before what doc was saying, a DVD release. I don't know if that's true or not. And it's weird. I mean, I haven't released a movie of my own since 2012 at this point, but I know that Netflix was like that where Netflix would, you know, they buy the movie for a certain period of time. So like we Netflix leased our film for a year. It did well. So they leased it for another two years. And then after that, it just disappeared because they never bought a hard copy. They never bought a disc. And so you can, you can't stream it now. And so it's just like disappeared off of Netflix, but it's always been on Amazon and iTunes. And so I thought, once it was on Amazon and iTunes, it would be there forever was my understanding. And, you know, again, this was in 2012, but even if you go to the Backcountry website, which is backcountryfilm.com, their last post they have on there uh, says Backcountry in theaters, VOD and iTunes, March 20th. And so I was just like, huh, that's, that's weird. Yeah. And, and for the new listeners who have come to love Josh and you're not familiar, his film he's referring to is called Clean Flicks. I recommend it. Um, so backcountry, yeah, th- this is a film that, I, and I like your theory, Dave. I think you're probably exactly right. So, Dave, you're thinking that if it's out there on VOD and people are watching it, they'll kind of get their fill, and they won't feel like they need to buy the DVD or Blu-ray. Or, or it could be that that the contract, um, uh, you know, that William was talking about, uh, it was up to coincide with that, you know, to say, okay, well. This is when we're announcing the Blu-ray slash DVD. And if it's September 1st, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and just say that would have had to have been announced, have to have been announced very recently, hmm. you know, because they're making announcements now for movies coming out beginning of September on, you know, when, when I look on like Blu-ray.com and so forth. So that had to have, that could have happened within the last week. And maybe the contract was, okay, you have it for this long because we released it March 20th. You play it for this long, and then as soon as we announce the Blu-ray and DVD, then it's got to come down, and then it, ha- it can be available again once once those are released. That could have been part of like the initial agreement yeah. with it as well. Yeah. And it would s- sort of make sense. I you see. know? Okay. Well, yeah, I think that's good theory. But listeners out there, go ahead, William. Oh, I'm laughing at you. You're like, that's a good theory. No, I think it is a pretty good theory. That's as good as, <laughs> as, good as I, I can th- come up with. Theory is the strongest scientific fact that we have anymore. So actually, that's a very, very good compliment. Yes, the highest I can pay. <laughs> and, uh, theory sure. is stronger than a law. I don't know if people know that. Yes, in fact. For, I, throwing in the, the I suppose at the end of it didn't throw a lot of confidence. <laughs> out, I still appreciate it. William, I just learned that or relearned it. It seems like I was taught that before, but I relearned that the other day on the Stuff You Should Know podcast. Anyways. um, I was in school. 
Oh, well done. Well done. But, but what I was saying with Backcountry, listeners, typically we do not review films on this podcast that you cannot access because personally I feel that's maddening. <laughs> but I'm sorry you're not going to be able to get a hold of this until September apparently. So this is Jay of the Dead's survival horror segment. And actually, as Wolfman Josh knows, only he knows this. I watched Backcountry like several months ago, probably, I don't know, two two or three months ago, whatever. And I had been planning to do this segment for a long time. But Josh said, we should do a Killer Bear episode, which I thought was brilliant. And he <laughs> said, we should invite William Rowan Jr. Because he's got a great bear story, which I also thought was brilliant. And so, Josh, you were right. I have to say I'm glad I waited. So oh, good. I saved this. But I want to preface it would this. Have been more awkward if you had said you were wrong. This was a <laughs> huge mistake. <laughs> I wish I would have done this backcountry review two months ago. No, that's not true at all. So on this backcountry review, this is what I call survival horror. Now, I wanted to talk to you guys about it, how I define that, and maybe you could talk about it a little more too. But I just want to say, I really think this is a subgenre in horror, and it may be one of the most like horror fringe, like on the fringes of horror, on the outskirts of all the horror subgenres. And I, I recognize this. I acknowledge it. But the way I define it is survival horror is when you have characters who are stuck or trapped in a dangerous situation whereby the longer they are stuck in this dangerous situation, the more deadly it becomes. That's survival horror. And the most common examples that pop into my head are things like Open Water or Frozen. I mean, these are films that I that I like, everybody knows. And, and so that's survival horror to me. Now, do you guys have any comments or arguments with that? What do you think? No, I'm I'm surprised. I mean, I'm not surprised that you like it because I've known that for a very long time. It's been one of your favorite genres. But I am surprised the more I get to know you as a horror reviewer because you are, you know, the guy who's super strict about what is and what isn't horror. So I feel like you're being more on the permissible side in terms <laughs> of uh, allowing this in the genre to kind of get by your, uh, yeah, the rules that you've set in place. True so enough. I, I'm interested in that, but I, I, I happen to love this as well, and I, it wasn't something that I ever identified as horror until I met you, but since knowing you, I, it's something that I think about quite a bit because it, it is also one of my favorite subgenres. Um, as I mentioned with The Edge, it's one of my all-time favorite movies, and so I like things like this. The Grey, which I know a lot of people are borderline on calling a horror movie, to me it's definitely a survival horror, and I love that about it. And I like these other movies you're talking about as well. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I have to acknowledge what you said. I have to agree with you. I think that the way you called me on it is exactly right because it is very fringe horror. But um, before I respond more to that, I want to hear William Rowan Jr. What? How do you feel about survival horror or the concept of it as a subgenre in horror? Well, as far as labeling and subcategorizing everything i think it's i think wolfman said it really great where you created the premise of how you titled it and then you just started fitting things into it which is exactly what i do 
especially when I was <laughs> referring to the hunted. I had I had big, but my thing was out of a need of trying to identify what was it out of this group of movies that were very different. What was the thing that was binding them together of why I was why I've bought them in every format and love them. So that's I had just done that, you know, for my own. What what I was my preference and what is my style? What do, what do, what do I like? What am I responding to? But as far as the the horror go goes, um, I'm curious about just defining horror. Did you do that? I, I would I'm I want right. you to define a little bit of what you would just say horror was. Thank you. I mean that is such a great setup because that's exactly where I was going to go next with it. So I appreciate that. <laughs> um, in, in this particular circumstance, because I do want to like really zero in here the difference i think between horror and drama i think they're cousins actually and i think that um well first of all conflict is drama okay and horror is drama that's taken to an extreme so the example i love to give is a little girl has pneumonia that's drama a little girl is possessed by the devil that's horror so when something is taken dramatically before our eyes and we are viewing this horrific experience or terrifying experience that's taken beyond the limits of drama. Now, what are the limits? You might say it's like, okay, the difference between something you see on the Lifetime channel or maybe a a 9 o'clock, 9 p.m. drama movie on network television or something I mean, something that would go beyond that. And for example, this film, Backcountry, which we're going to be talking about here, is such an example. Like this whole film, Backcountry, almost the entire film is a drama. Right, Josh? I mean, it's, it, but, but there, is, there is a scene. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it reminds me of is Willow Creek, actually, in huh, terms of interesting. relationships and conversation but yeah go ahead yeah that's very good that that is very good but i mean like you know for the first hour you, you know it is solid 100 drama but where this goes it goes so extreme over the boundaries i mean because here's the thing you guys we we go on family vacations for example and maybe bad things happen maybe you get a flat tire right or maybe your dad loses his wallet or maybe the park you were planning to go to is closed or you go on a vacation and somebody gets killed in your family yeah and then that actually happened to me before <laughs> like so so that's that's horror to me like and maybe that's actually stemmed subconsciously out of my personal life experience but like yeah. in in this particular film you know you have this couple they go into the woods and um you know they encounter a bear you know and it's like Okay, if 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 it'd be one of these things, if it were a story where, oh, that was a close one. Do you remember that time we encountered that bear? You know, and then you know everybody gets away and everything. Then that's a drama. But where this film goes and what it shows us is extremely disturbing, and I think it crosses that line. Does that answer your question, William, or or not? Uh, yeah. So one clarifying question, just one is: Is there a difference to you as far as cinema? goes between horror and horrifying Mm -hmm. or are they the same if it's horrifying it's a horror element like as far as cinema goes genre 
Yeah. Or or there are lots of things that are horrifying, but it's not a horror setting or, or tone or setup. That's why I like you. You ask really smart questions. Uh, it was Kyle Bishop that actually helped me sort this out because I didn't have a way to uh, explain this. And and he, he does a great job. And Josh, you can set me straight if I do any of it incorrectly. Like, if something, if a movie is scary, it, well, let's see, how does he do it? There, there are things that happen that are terror or terrifying that's scary, but there's no gore, there's no dismemberment, there's no, like, like physical, like, desecration of a body. You know, that's terror. And so, like, you know, Kyle would call something like open water because we don't really get to see a lot of viscera in open water. He might call that a terror film rather than a horror film, strictly speaking. Whereas, like, and and so if you were to say something is horrifying, I mean, I don't know, I guess if you looked up the death definition. No, I'm not interested in that. You, okay. you were doing just great. Yeah, you can okay. change the terrifying. That's fine. Yeah. And open water is a great example. So you're just saying... Is that to you too, though? Like you're saying, open water. There's, it's just not. There's no gore. There's no blood. You don't see anything happen. So it's more terrifying. It's not a horror. Hmm. Let, is, let that, me, is that what you were saying? Let's see. I, I think the best way I can answer you, and maybe it's because I just, I'm not a fast thinker. So I'm forgive me, but, but I think the best way I can answer you is, um, do I think a horror film can be terrifying? Yes. Or horrifying, yes. Do I think a, a horror film has to have gore? No. Did that did that do it? Sure. Probably no. not. But no, it's great. <laughs> well, like the Blair Witch Project, you don't see anything, but it's still clearly a horror movie. Right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah. So it's it maybe it's just not it's not as black as white as we're trying to make it, which I I I am more comfortable with that it's not black and white. To be honest with you. Okay. So. But it did seem like you did start this premise where you did want things very clearly defined. <laughs> I, I do I do love to try it. Like, for example, the movie Buried with Ryan Reynolds. It's like, is that survival horror? Let's see. According to my definition, he is stuck in a situation that becomes more deadly the longer he's in it. So, technically, by my survival horror definition, Buried would be a survival horror film. And um, in that premise alone being buried alive is basically the scariest thing I can think of. So aside from being eaten by a bear where it's chewing on my face, you know? So <laughs> I'm just saying, um, but yeah, I mean, it's really hard. Like when, when we do, you make a great point when, because when we do try to like lay out the guidelines and say, this is what it's going to be. Here's the line in the sand. Then there's always something right. That, that can foil our best laid plans. Sure, but it is and nice it's to have a premise. William Rowan Jr. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate that there's a premise to at least have a general, you know, parameters to start with. But yes, I do think it's limiting to build a little teeny box and say, I'm fitting in this box. I don't care what I have to break to get in there, and I will fight to the death just to make sure no rules are broken. It just kind of seems a bit extreme. <laughs> right, but see, I think, and that's funny because... That's what we do here. That, 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 <laughs> this, this is called Horror Movie Podcast. That's how we roll. But no, what you just said, I think people do view what I what I try to do in that way. But the way I view what I try to do, and this is, sounds so ridiculous as I hear myself saying it out loud, but as I view what I try to do is the reason that genre was created or identified, because people like 
to to see certain elements or components in a movie. They like to see those recur in their cinema. They like that. And so they start identifying the elements and packaging them together. And so for me, it's just, I, I guess the easiest way to say it is I love to see movies where people are stuck in a perishable situation where the longer they're in it, the more deadly it becomes. And so that, that's my angle because I just like to try to find those movies. That's why I have such definitions. Yeah. And I actually love those movies too. So like it's weird. We can like discuss all this, but really we're, you know, coming from the same place that we like what we like. It's they're similar, you know? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So having said all that, backcountry is 95% drama, 5% horror. But, but honestly, Josh, I don't know about you. Um, this is one of the scariest uh, beastly freak kill scenes. I mean, this this attack in this film is very upsetting to me. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to hijack your new segment here, but no, I, go I, for it. I do agree with you. I think um, it has a lot of the same problems I have with Willow Creek. It goes on for a very long time and nothing really happens. And then finally something happens. The big difference is... When something happens in this movie, it happens, and it's intense and crazy. And this is up there for one of the best bear attack scenes I've ever seen. But, you know, it's so brief in the length of the film, and what the rest of the stuff that's happening isn't doing much for me, so that's the problem, I guess, I have with the film. <laughs> Can I get real with you guys for a minute on this podcast and... Not make I, I don't want to make it uncomfortable, and I'm sorry for listeners. I'm not trying to. I just want to be real because cinema is like very real to me. So I, I referenced earlier, and I've said it before on this podcast. One time we went on a family vacation when I was 12. We went to the beach, and my dad drowned in the ocean while we were at the beach. I witnessed it. It was horrific, and etc. Well, the thing is, this movie, this attack scene in this movie took me to that same place it's like that 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 day did i mean and i and i know that it wasn't like a hundred percent the same because i was like living an actual experience versus i knew i was watching a film but what i'm trying to like communicate to everybody here is that like this attack scene has a um a rawness to it uh like it has a tragic nature to it it has it has an absolute devastating sadness to it that it's like, oh my goodness. It's almost as if you were yeah. watching somebody's home video where they actually filmed, you know, a bear, a bear attack, a gruesome one. Yeah. And and it just, it really like unsettled me. So for that fact, I just want to communicate to the horror fans, like this movie is seriously 95% drama and not very interesting drama, pretty boring for a lot of it. But that 5% to me is just pure horror. Josh, do you, I mean, do you no, feel I'm with way? you. I'm with you. Yeah. You could almost I, say that that emulates real life, right? 95% is just like the daily grind is boring. Hmm. It's all the responsibilities, making sure things are paid for. And, and then these, like you just described something. And I know you kind of just, I, I'm assuming you had to just like, I just want to just, point out dude that is like the craziest thing 
I have ever heard. I'm so sorry. Like I, I can't underestimate. I can, and I don't even. I can't really sympathize. But I could only just like, or empathize. I can sympathize. Just that that's got to be like crazy intense, dude. I just. Yeah. I'm just sorry, man. Well, no, thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, it happened when I was 12. I'm 39 now. I mean, I've had lots of years to process it and so forth. But yeah, it was extremely uh, traumatic to me. And that that's for certain. And and I think that's why, like, maybe that's one reason why, like, survival horror films do strike a chord with me. You know what I mean? Because in the, <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry if the listeners are like, I'm very uncomfortable right now. But no, I just want to say, I mean, we get raw here on Horror Movie Podcast. Like, you know, I heard I heard my dad out in the ocean yelling for help. Oh. And two nights earlier, he sat us down, my family, and, and gave us the instructions. This is what you do if you get in trouble. And if you're yelling for help, then I'll know you're really in trouble. And so having had that conversation with him like two nights earlier and then he- hearing him yell for help, I mean, it was super real. And so it was a perishable situation where the longer he's in that situation more deadly it becomes and i wonder if that's why like i'm hardwired to be horrified by survival horror maybe that's it i'm just like discovering these things on the podcast live but <laughs> this is happening you guys this is happening right now yeah this is like jay of the dead psychoanalyzing right here but but no in all seriousness so i i, I think that you know it was a, a life-changing experience for me it did it did a lot of um you know it it, it helped me grow up quite a bit. I learned a lot about life from it. So I appreciate your words, William. I just, I, I mean, it's one of those things that's just like, I can't not have an emotional response when someone shares something that serious. It's like super intense, man. Most people go to the beach. It's just like, you know, you're not, you don't expect these kind of things to happen. In <laughs> right. Exactly. And that's why, like, that. that's why it was like such a shock. And, and I'm, I'm so, and, and seriously, I'm, I'm sorry for the audience if you feel like this is like psych session, but I, I just like, because you don't expect those kind of things. And I think that's the difference between drama and horror, you know, bringing it back again. I mean, you in a drama, things don't go that far. They don't get that real. And it reminds me of Josh's story. If he would have been eaten. <laughs> yeah, you just way outdid my story. No, 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 no. But but honestly, like if a bear would have come to you while you were stuck in the mud and started chewing on you, I mean, it's like life doesn't usually go there. But when it does cross over that border and people start dying horrifically, then it's horror, you know. Yeah. So yeah. anyways, pretty heavy duty stuff, everybody. So I think that's amazing that you are comfortable enough to share that, and I think the listeners should be grateful that they're getting to sit in on that kind of a conversation. You should not be apologizing for being open in that way. It's amazing. Well, I appreciate it, and I, and I love this audience. They're really good to me. Everybody's very gracious to me, um, even Juan and David, who, who, <laughs> who, who bust my chops all the time, which which I deserve, and, and I know that, and and Josh busts my chops too because I deserve it. But, anyways, um, so thanks for listening to that, everybody. And let's move into our our, our final thoughts and ratings on Backcountry. And Josh, start us off. Okay, are you sure you want me to? This is your segment. No, no, th- but still, it's a feature of you too. So I definitely want you in on it. I mean, I think it's a quality film. I think um, it's not my kind of film for most of it. I'll say, unfortunately, so. Like objectively, 
I I could probably feel okay about giving this a a six, um, but it's it's not a movie I would ever watch again. I would say it's a low priority rental for me. Okay. I think if you're gonna watch one bear horror movie, we're gonna be talking about that one in a minute. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm with you. Okay. Well, let me just pull up. I'm I'm sorry here. I gotta pull up here and see if there's anything else that I just insisted on telling you. I finally, I mean, we've been talking about this for how long now, and I finally found my um, notes on this movie. This is based on a true story. Now, do you think that this was um, just one of those things where they said it was based on a true story and it's really not, Josh? I did not notice it was based on a true story. That makes it scarier to me. Yeah, but how can we ever tell anymore when something really is? Yeah, it's hard to know. You have to, you have to do the research. Can't take their word for it. Yeah, exactly. And we learned that from Fargo, right? <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah, so I, I actually did. I enjoyed this film. But in terms of, like, I think for most people who watch it, they're going to be super bored. See, I wouldn't just tell people, go to this, Mark. I mean, I wrote down the time. But I wouldn't say, okay, well, just watch this one scene. Because I think that's kind of a rip to do that. I don't think, I don't know. I, I don't necessarily agree with doing that well, kind of thing. Well, if this is your kind of movie... You are waiting for the horror. You know at least what the minute mark is that you need to wait until the- <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, you don't even really start, like, hearing or, or encountering bear noises until, like, 48 minutes. And, and about the hour mark is where it gets real. I'll just tell people that. But, yeah, I mean, otherwise, 95% drama, 5% horror, but that horror is raw. This is a 5.5 out of 10, and I call it a rental if you love survival horror. Just one random note I wanted to throw in there. The director of this film, Adam McDonald, is an actor as well. He's he's acted far more than he has directed. Um, he's kind of a, just a B-list, C-list, does a lot of TV and stuff. Ironically, he was in Wolves, the 2015 film that I reviewed last week as an actor. So I just thought that was kind <laughs> of a weird coincidence. Neat. His next movie features Wolves. But not werewolves. He's actually doing a one wolves attack movie. So oh, nice. Wolves are freaking scary too. I mean, that's I've also been hunted by wolves. Actually, more specifically than my bear encounter, it was my wolf encounter. But we'll save that for Adam <laughs> McDonald's next film. <laughs> oh, we are we are such storytellers on this podcast. I just love it. We all have stories to tell, don't we? But yeah, I like wolf movies, so I will look forward to that with interest. Let me tell you a little story, boy. A long time ago, there's a tribe of Indians up here in these woods. They was all laid down with the pox, or uh, something I can't remember. Anyway, this herd of grizzlies smelled them out. They come in and they ate them. They tore them all up. Little children, sick ones, everybody. There's a few braves that was healthy enough to go out on a hunt. They come back, and the grizzlies turned on them. So there you had a little situation. A whole herd of man-eating grizzlies. It's just rearing around, tearing up Indians. It's pretty hard to believe. Unless you happen to be one of them Indians. All right, well, at this point in episode 61 of Horror Movie Podcast, we'll move into our feature review of Into the Grizzly Maze. 
real mess. A couple bootleg cutters, or what's left of them. Yeah, it's a bear. Damn right, it's a bear. You deal with your brother. I'm coming with you. What are you up to? I was gonna go out to the grizzly maze and pay respect to Dad. Gotta do this one alone. There's a killer bear out here. Three people are already dead. This time, we stick together. The grizzly maze. Even grizzlies can get lost down there. Bears are scared. Looks like they're all leaving the maze, like they're running from something. I think we've got a problem. A guy goes back to his hometown. He's there to search for his friend who's been missing in the woods for, I think it was like 12 days. Uh, well, we find out, you know, at the beginning of the movie that a bear had shown up. He had taken two poachers out into the woods. Um, they were killing all of these bears, cutting off their paws and, and, and taking their gallbladders, I think it was, you know, to, to, they were poachers. Um, and he had led them out there. Well, he went to, to walk away from them because he didn't like that they, they were staying there and all the, all the damage they were doing. Um, and there's a little bit of a confrontation between them. But anyway, the bottom line is this guy hasn't come back in 12 days. So um, this, this other one plays by James Marsden. Um, he goes back, back uh, to the to town to look for this. You know, he was, he was contacted by this guy's wife, and he's going to look for him. He's going to go down into the woods. His buddy uh, is played by him. Adam Beach, by the way, who's one of my favorite actors. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so then um, he ends up getting into an altercation, meeting up with his brother. Uh, his brother didn't know he was back in town. Apparently, um, James Marsden's character had done time. So th- there's that bit of tension there. You know, the brothers, a little bit of a te- tension between them. But they grew up in this area. Their father used to protect the bears. Um, you know, he, he loved this area. He loved what he called the grizzly maze, which is where most of the bears, you know, hunted and, and lived. And they used to call it a maze because sometimes even they get lost down there. But uh, anyway, he had to go into there to search for them. Now, the other brother, who's, who's a deputy, um, he still protects the bears, him and his wife. Uh, he has a wife who's, who's sort of an environmentalist, like a naturalist, goes in, takes photographs of the area. Well, they, they still protect the bears. Um, but then they're kind of in conflict with the character played by Billy Bob Thornton, who was a partner of their father's, had a bad experience with a bear, and now is sort of a hunter. So there's, that, there's a bit of tension with, with, with him as well. Um, but anyway, they go down into the maze. He goes down to search for this, uh, um, uh, you know, his friend, um, the, the, his brother has to go into search for his wife who is in there because this bear is obviously, there's obviously a rogue bear in there who's just killing people out of anger and he's, and he's mauling people. He's attacking them. He's like, he's hunting and attacking them and they've got to get these people out before. And of course, once they're in there they find they're in his domain and it just becomes a lot more difficult for them. Yes. Thank you. Okay. And, uh, Josh, do you have some release information you want to talk about with this? Well, just like with that country, this movie has had a really, um, weird release situation. It was shot back in 2012, um, was sold in 2013. And then the open road who bought the film, they just kind of sat on it for a little while. It was initially entitled red machine, um, and then when Open Road bought it, they changed the title to Endangered. And then um, when the first trailer for the film came out, the film had been renamed Grizzly, which I think is interesting because I could actually see this as a kind of a 
remake of the original 1976 Grizzly. Mm-hmm. This would actually be a cool way to position this film as a sequel to that film. Uh, but then finally, when the second trailer is released in May 2015, it's retitled again as Into the Grizzly Maze. Now, of course, the Grizzly Maze, for those who don't know, actually comes from Timothy Treadwell. He's the one that coined the term the Grizzly Maze. That's what he named that part of land where he ended up dying. Um, and a lot of the books written about Timothy Treadwell refer to the Grizzly Maze in the title of those books, which is kind of interesting. Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. So let me kick it to William Rowan Jr., Kill Bill Kill, and ask you, first of all, how do you feel about Into the Grizzly Maze? Well, there was a couple things right off the bat um, when I saw it. I loved the setting. Uh, I, I am a sucker for anything... Washington State, Oregon, Alaska. I just really love, and, and it could be because I think cinematography just does so well. It's so fitting for the way I like my lighting in my movies, <laughs> and I like pretty pretty trees and you know the wilderness. But yeah, it's gorgeous. Uh, the other thing though that came up pretty quick was there were some serious uh, movie tropes, uh, like the loner guy, you know, with a lot of uh, things in his past in writing. It's called like character ghost um <laughs> comes into town on the greyhound uh, he's got a backpack you know full of supplies he lays them on the bed has the gun that he spins you know the barrel flips it closed and then has a map clearly labeled i was kind of worried at all of this point right uh you know goes into the bar you know super i don't know long face and meets a girl that doesn't go well uh, but and then you find out he's the prodigal son returns. And I was just like, oh, how many tropes are we going to have before this plot <laughs> starts? Right. This was like pretty – I mean for me, I just thought it was a lot of just kind of uh, – Well, you know what it is? It's, it's a full-on Save the Cat written screenplay because I think um, you can get – you know, there's a, there's a book called Save the Cat for the, those who don't know, which is a screenwriting book. And it kind of – simply outlines the classic Hollywood screenplay. And it's actually a really useful guide. But to me, this is has, when it has problems, and I actually think the film succeeds in a lot of ways, but I think a lot of the problems that William's talking about here are paint-by-numbers save-the-cat moments. Like the, when he meets the girl, he has a literal save-the-cat moment with her <laughs> that's meant to show us that he's a good guy. I think a lot of those gun-twirling moments maybe come from the fact that James Marsden and Thomas Jane are guys who try really hard with their performances to throw in a lot of business and stuff to do their line readings differently. And Billy Bob Thornton's actually the same way. All three of these guys are actors who like to really flash up their performances and try to add something like a Nicolas Cage-esque to their performances. (laughs) (laughs) I I sense a little disrespect from you on this point. Well, I I think it can go well or it can go badly. I'm not a huge fan of um, I'm not a huge fan of Thomas Jane at all. Um, Billy Bob Thornton is a genius in some stuff, and he's really bad in other things. And <laughs> James Marsden to me is a decent actor, but hasn't really shown anything outstanding yet. But I I, I like him. He's very Scott, handsome. Scott Glenn is my favorite actor that's in this movie, and Adam Beach, but they don't have as much to do as these other guys. I love P- Piper Parabo as well. <laughs> I'm in because love. Of that, because of that dancing, what, what was her movie called? The Dancing... Uh, uh, Coyote, Coyote Ugly? 
<laughs> yes, I love her. Seems for like there lots. was a joke missed there. <laughs> I'm just saying, I love her for lots of things. I think she's. See, I mean, and some of a lot of those tropes that they throw in there, like the like the the brother coming back and and so forth. I don't feel like they they saw them through because you don't really get the tensions. Yeah. Between them, I don't think they fully developed those. They just sort of said, okay, well, we'll throw them out there. And it's not that it's important because you do want to – the the main part of the movie is the bear, obviously. But they they took the time to do it but didn't – I don't think carried it all the way. Just going back to the screenwriting thing, uh, you know, the, the title of that book, Save the Cat, comes from the idea that if your character does something kind like Save the Cat, even if they seem to be kind of a jerk, you realize, oh, this is a good person at heart, and I'm going to learn to love them throughout the course of the film. So James Marsden has this moment where he rescues a woman in trouble, and so we know, oh, even though he seems like rough around the edges and he's going to argue with his brother and, you know, break, bend a lot of rules, we know we, we are going to like him at some point of this film. Piper Paraboo has another interesting moment from Save the Cat. Her thing is a technique in that book that they call limping an eye patch. So they, they <laughs> give you the suggestion to give each of your characters some unique trait so that you'll remember them. And they're, you know, they have some specific thing about them that none of the other characters have. And you know, the example that they give is a limp or an eye patch. It's not necessarily a big character thing, but it's just something to round them out a little bit more, make them a little more specific. And for her, she's deaf. And the minute she was deaf, I was just like, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> You don't have to do this much. Just give us a little bit of depth to the character. You don't have to have every character in this movie doesn't have to have some huge ridiculous. <laughs> but like, well, in defense of the film, I think that there was a little bit. Uh, they didn't capitalize on that as much as they could, but there, there, it was kind of neat. A little bit of what they did with her being deaf and then being in this situation with these bears. Right. Yes. I mean, that's kind of cool. I wish they would have done more with it. But so I don't know if it was a hundred. I think you're right, ultimately. But I don't I think they had some other reasons for it, too. Maybe. Sure. I hope so. But in theory. But do you guys. OK, so I agree with William Rowan Jr. that this is a, a gorgeous film looking at like the colors, especially in the forest, are just brilliantly beautiful. And I mean, like they're so vibrant. The greens, it's like all fern looking and. And just, I, I was seriously, I, I don't always get caught up in the visuals like that, but this I think looks great. The cast in this, where did they get this cast? And maybe like a lot of these things are really funny that you guys are describing and we can tease about with these actors, but it's still a really recognizable kind of star-studded cast. And it's got Bart the Bear Part 2. It's got Bart's son, Bart the Bear 2. Yeah. Which is right. Yeah, and who's who's great. But I, what I think is most notable about this now, I got to say one little thing. I do not, I haven't seen The Edge. Okay, I don't, I don't have that. So maybe Josh, you guys can like clear me up on this if I'm wrong. But to my knowledge of all the Killer Bear movies, Into the Grizzly Maze has the most graphic, most gruesome bear mauling humans scenes that I've ever seen in a movie. Yeah, they're really well done. They don't uh -huh. involve the bear 
as much as I would like. Um, you know, they do have that kind of like there's a guy in the suit and it's shot in close-ups all of a sudden, which is unfortunate when you have such a great bear actor. That has a lot to do with the budget, I'm sure. I mean, this is a huge budget movie for this type of a horror film. It's $10 million. Yeah. But when you have this many giant actors, that's a really small budget. And when you have a bear and all this stuff, you know, all of this story to get through, because there's a lot of, you know, a lot of story in this movie. Um, There's a lot to get through. And so I, you know, I think it is kind of still, despite being $10 million, is still kind of a small budget film. And so Mm -hmm. I think um, it it suffers from that, but you're right. This has got probably the best kills I've ever seen in a killer bear movie. Yeah. Yeah. Because like, I mean, you have, you have scenes of the bear like biting, biting down on somebody's like face and head and, yeah. and it honestly, guys, seriously, it got to me. I'm like, I am really kind of disturbed. It upset me inside because it was. Oh, it, I had that same reaction to to that moment you're talking about, and it comes very late in the film. But mm-hmm. yeah, I had that same reaction. Yeah. So I think this is a very notable film. Like you know how we we praised Exist as a Bigfoot movie. I, I think this is the bear the bear movie. If what you want is gory killer bear scenes mauling humans if you want to see that actually carried out on film then they have it here and the 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 problem is they try so much with with character that and that's where it comes up short i mean even with billy bob thornton i never disliked his character you know that and i and i got the feeling maybe i was supposed to but I never did because he was sort of saying what I would have been saying in that situation. Well, he's, he's kind of Quint in Jaws, right? Isn't yeah, Quint? yeah, exactly. Yeah. Except Quint didn't bring a white horse along, and I have no idea why this guy was walking around with a white horse. <laughs> that was Rob Zombie influenced, I've heard. That, yeah, maybe. That, that could be because there was no reason for this white horse to be walking with him. Like he wasn't car- I don't, He All he had was his gun. It made no sense. That's old that, that Gus. He had this horse. Gus, good old Gus, just so we could see Gus run away at one point. I guess it was the only re- reason he brought him along. I really was worried about Billy Bob Thornton's look at the beginning of this. I'm like, he is not looking good these days. Like, this is a really bad look for him, but his look is improved significantly when the, some of the horror elements take over later in the film. He looks right. awesome during parts of this film. Well, actually, that was one of my gripes. I think the makeup effects are done very well, except for that what you're really, referring to he looks so cool yeah like <laughs> i don't he has a uh, one of my favorite parts in this entire film i believe it's billy bob when he he you know there's a lot of zingers and liners which i have written down a few examples but he he has this best one that has a, a better payoff where he goes he's like we're in for one hell of a night and then i counted literally 20 seconds later in the film is when the one hell of a night like it starts right away i was just like <laughs> yeah what? that's true <laughs> <laughs> it was so funny to me i love it yeah i that's mean very true we should really underscore that this is actually a b movie like through and through this is a b movie but guys this is a very fun b movie and uh, and i actually i kind of love this film 
Yeah, and in it. terms of cast and production, I would actually say it's like an A minus movie or something because it's it's in a weird no man's land. It's it, it kind of reminds me, of, you know, occasionally you'll get a European film that um, like a big Hollywood actor will go and do a weird European film that um, they normally wouldn't have done. It reminds me of one of those. It's like, how did all these act? Like you were saying, how did all these actors get into this movie? Like, I don't right. get what's going on here? How how have I never heard of this one? And you know, this was directed. This is a true horror film. It's directed by David Hackle, who was a production designer for a lot of the Saw movies, and he directed Saw 5, and I'm sure his notoriety is probably some of the reason these actors got involved, but... Yeah. Well... But it's a horror movie compared to, like, I, I think, you know, I think um, The Edge is arguable, and it's and if it is horror, it's just survival horror. I think this is a horror film, and, it, and it's plotted like a slasher, just like the 1976 Grizzly. Uh, the difference is like it's a killer bear instead of a bear that needs to kill for food or something. I mean, there's a huge difference there. And this is like the bear's rogue. It's killing for, for it doesn't make sense. And it doesn't look it's not hungry. It's just like hunt just taking anyone down that's in its territory or something. Mm-hmm. All right. Yeah, it's a monster. Yeah. You, you know, and speaking of like the this being a horror movie, I would agree. And in fact, I think they do a very neat reversal on the horror film in this movie, which I respect a bunch. There is, um, this is so cool to me. There's a scene where there's a guy with a chainsaw. (laughs) Okay. And, and the guy is chainsawing in the darkness. He's sawing this tree. And it's so interesting that the guy with the chainsaw was the victim of a monster instead of the reverse. It's always, the monster with the chainsaw gets the victim, but but this film has the reverse of that, and I really appreciate that. Well, he was right. killing an innocent tree. That's right. that's true, <laughs> <laughs> which is awful. But yes, yeah, that's absolutely true. Okay. Another so- weird little note. I was just looking at uh, David Hackle, the director's credentials. Another film that he was well, two films I'll mention really quick. Since you guys have talked about the Barons a lot, he was the production designer on the Barons. Cool. Uh, but he was also, funnily enough, the production designer on Skinwalkers, which we were talking about <laughs> earlier on the show. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah, like where this has problems though, like the the dial, like the story, the exposition's very clunky. The, the dialogue stuff, all that stuff's messed up. But visually and effects-wise, I mean, all, all those things, I think, work really well. Once the bear, once the bear gets in, once the bear shows up, you know, I mean, whenever the bear shows up, um, the, the, the movie picks up. And I'm not saying everything is bad with, with the characters. Uh, it's just, it's just not, it's just not fully developed. I mean, the sheriff is involved in something he shouldn't have been, and we don't really even get a sense of that. You know, like, right. why? I mean, we find out why at the end, but what did he do? I mean, mm-hmm. th- how deeply involved was he? Um, it's just all that stuff is just sort of half developed. Like, the, and, and, and they, I don't know if, I don't even know if more would have done anything for it because no, they so- had plenty of time to do it. And, not more. I think they should have made it much simpler. Yeah, me yeah, too. I would agree. I would yeah. agree. They didn't need. They didn't need all of this, you know. And then the girl. What? What are you doing back? And then what happened? It, uh, just a lot of, a lot of the, the too much of the human element. I think in, in this one, and it just uh, it did drag it down at times. Yeah, and we're all guys. All all of us are guys who appreciate story. 
you yeah, know. Oh, absolutely. And, absolutely. You know, they, they uh, overdid it here. <laughs> like, right. Or it just wasn't and, and done well. They, they, or they, or they shot to overdo it and ended up not doing it nearly enough because we never got a sense of any of what they were trying to accomplish. Yes. The, the, the sibling rivalry, the, uh, the, the hatred of Billy Bob Thornton's character, the relationship between, you know, the, the, um, James Marston and then the girl, um, the, the sheriff and what he had done, his role in this whole thing. We never got a sense of any of that. So they tried to do too much, but they ended up, they, it ended up falling short. Yeah. Yeah. Just make it a little simpler and we get more, less is more in a situation right. like this. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Cause, cause it's really about bears freaking eating people in the, in the jungle and we're happy, but, um, <laughs> Well, about the Billy Bob Thornton character, real quick before we move into ratings, I just want to say that even though some of the lines are pretty bad, he still does those um, Billy Bob Thornton lines that I love. Like some of them are actually kind of hilarious and coming out of his mouth, you almost half wonder. It's like, okay, was that scripted for him or is that just how he feels right there in that moment? Because he says things smarting off to people and, and, um, you know, criticizing people that are pretty hilarious. So I also think it's worth seeing just for his character, even though I'm with Josh, I don't love his look in this film. So anyways, (laughs) so what do you guys rate into the grizzly maze? We'll start with kill bill kill. Yeah. So just to wrap up my thoughts, I, and I don't mean to start any sort of, you know, riff between us, Jay, but I thought Billy Bob Thornton was a huge, I mean, he's always hit or miss, but I thought this was a huge miss as far as his acting and obviously his character as written. I mean, and it could be because the last thing that I saw him in was the Fargo television show, which I thought he was amazing in. So I kind of had a a higher expectation probably. So, you know, and and I, you know, it's a B-horror movie, but I I wasn't really thinking that. I just was kind of like, oh, Billy Bob's going to be so good. And I just was like, what is he doing? This is horror. This is lame. This is no Quinn, first of all. And why he became who he was was a joke. He had to stab a bear. So what? I just, I just, uh, I did not like him. And uh, I don't know. I thought it was funny. Everyone is the worst shot in this movie. Like no one was a scout and got their marksmanship badge because they were just <laughs> shooting like crazy and not even got close and. I guess I figured they didn't want any sort of no bullet should it be able to hit the bear. Maybe it was what they were going for. Yeah, I mean, it was it was only a what? 1,100-pound uh, bear charging at them. And they, couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't figure out a way to hit it. Well, And I don't want to say like that I would be able to shoot that kind of a bear if it was charging me. I, I don't know what. I'd just panic, I guess. I mean, I, like I, wouldn't, it's easy. I wouldn't because I'm not an experienced marksman. But we were supposed to believe, I guess, most of these guys at least grew up shooting. Shoot. Yeah. It's not admit, it's not a make or break, but I just it's something I was finding funny as it went along. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, I'm gonna say because of the bear moments alone, I loved that part of it. Like we've said, there were some shots even like I believe it's with one of the kills with a car. I thought was done very well, scared Ooh. me to death. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna say it's a six. And uh, I would say it's a low priority stream it, which I'm assuming it will be very quickly. Okay. I'm disappointed in you. No, I'm just kidding. That was actually, no, you explained yourself very well. Okay. What do you say, Wolfman Josh? 
Um, I think this movie is <clears throat> a lot of fun. I think it is very paint by numbers, as I've mentioned. Um, and so I think that's its weak point. I think it's the story is a little clunky. You know, you look at a movie like The Edge and that movie, like I mentioned, like the human story at the core of that is super compelling in life or death. And so that's way more interesting to me than the backstory of these brothers and the deaf girl and the girlfriend and their other friend. And like there's just so many things going on here that aren't extremely well executed. The bear kills are awesome. If I was going to recommend one bear killer bear horror movie this is probably the best killer bear horror movie um it, it if you like the 76 film grizzly i think this is a, a this would be a great remake of that film honestly i think if you're gonna lo- watch one bear movie though you have to watch the edge first the edge is a 10 i'm not i'm not kidding around about this the edge is a 10 this is i'm gonna say is a seven i think it's worth a rental um and I'm, you know, I didn't feel my rental money was wasted. I think I paid like six ninety nine for it or something on Amazon. It was, it was a, it was a fun watch and a great addition and one of the better additions to this kind of killer bear genre. Yes, I agree with everything that Wolfman Josh just said. Um, absolutely, if you want a horror film about killer bears, this has the best killer bear kills, mauling people. It's awful and horrifying, and it's very convincing and very disturbing. 7 out of 10, this is a strong rental recommendation. I hope everybody will check it out. Dr. Shock, what do you say? Um, yeah, and I've said it a lot on the negatives now, but I do agree a lot um, or with a lot of what um, everybody has said about the movie's uh, strengths, and there are some. I mean, it, the, the bear kills are frightening. I mean, if you want to wonder why people are afraid of bears, you watch this movie. And the one, uh, the one that William had mentioned, actually, with the car was was very well handled. Uh, you know, I was not expecting that to happen at that moment. They they got me with that one, and um, and it was yeah. it was handled really well. Uh, and the one, you know, the one you had discussed, Jay, about the biting down. I mean, that was you're like, whoa. Um, so the, this the, the the scenes with the bear. When, when they're when they're going against the bear, when the bear is is chasing them, um, at one point that it, it the tension really kicked up for me was when they ran into a fog bank, um, you know, to try and get away. So several characters run into this fog bank and end up losing each other, knowing that this bear is like hot on their hot on their tail. Um, so I'm going to give it. I'm going to come in with a six also, and say it's a rental. It, it's it's worth seeing. Um, you, you do have to sit through mm, a little bit of garbage to get, you know, to, to, to get to where it needs to go, but it's still worth it in the end um, for, for what a lot of the payoffs are. Yes, thank you. Now, would you guys say, I'm not trying to put words in anybody's mouth, but I think this movie is very fun. Would you call oh, it yeah. fun? Well, it, 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 you know what? I, I'd, watch, I'd probably have to watch it again. There, the, the, it's not so much fun with the character parts. I mean, that those those are not fun. When the bear is involved, when they're in the woods, yeah, I, I could see where you might think it's, I could see where you might consider it sort of a fun movie. I think it's tense also. Um, but yeah, I could see where that, that part of it could be considered fun. But there's more, there's more moments that are not 
fun for me than art fun. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, no, I, I see. And, and speaking of the characters, Dave, like, I, I really didn't say this, but really, I think the problem, if you had to pick a, a bad apple out of the barrel, because <laughs> I like mm-hmm. Thomas Jane, but I think it was his performance that was really throwing things off for me. Like, his performance was the one that bugged me. Well, he was he was the one who just you never figured him out. I mean, he was the one who was saying, "Okay, he's first. He's going to try to to capture the bear. Okay, he already knows it's killed several people, but he wants to to capture it. Um, and then something happens when they find out that another bear has been killed. That he throws that gun away. Now he's no longer going to try to capture it. Um, he tracks all these other bears. Why?" And, you know, (laughs) it just, yeah, I don't know how much of it was his fault, how much of it was just the, the whole, we, we need to get some characters in here. We need to give them some stories. Let's, let's build some, you know, some development, um, build it in there and then just sort of hope people catch on to it. I don't know. I, I don't know, but I agree. I think his, his character uh, his performance, he's the one you, you question the most. Like, what are you doing? Like, what what's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. All right, well, that's our review of Into the Grizzly Maze. Once you guys see it, if you haven't seen it already, let us know what you think about it. We'd love to hear your comments. Praise the Lord, everybody. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and eat meat in it. Hallelujah. I'm on my way to church this morning, but I wanted to make a quick video um, because my spirit was troubled this morning I had the news on It was talking about somebody else And got ate up by a shark I want you all to be mindful When you're vacationing You know, you're going to the beach Do that, go to the beach Don't go to the ocean, okay The ocean is the shark's house Okay, I'm not And I can swim I can swim, my whole body is a, a flotation device My whole body is a flotation device I don't have to do nothing to float but I can't swim. Another thing that makes me suspect and makes me, you know, <laughs> has my Negro membership card in question, because most black people can't swim, but I can swim. But I'm not going to the ocean, because that's the shark's house, okay? The shark has the right to eat you up when you're in his house. When chickens come in my house, guess what? They get ate. When pigs come in my house, they own the plate. So when you go in the shark's house, you're going to get ate up, okay? So I want you to be safe. I want you to be happy. You know, let's let's use some common sense. If you go into the beach, go to the beach. You watch the ocean from a distance, okay? Please be safe. Safety first. Please, I don't want to hear about nobody from the meat ministry being shark bait, okay? And stay out the woods, too. Don't go, don't go fooling around with the bears, either. The bears will eat you up. That's what they're supposed to do because you're in their house. You know, when when animals come in my house, they end up on the plate. They get ate up. So the same thing happens when you go to their house. So stay out of the ocean, okay? That's the sharks. You know, do you can you imagine how excited the shark would be to see me laying up in, on, on the plate in his house? Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, no. So if you're going to, I just want you to be safe. Be, be happy. Be fat. Whatever meat is on your bones, rejoice in it today. Hallelujah. I love you. There's nothing that you can do about it. God love you. God keep you and stay out them oceans. Jesus. All right. At this point in episode 61 of Horror Movie Podcast, we'll move into our discussion of Jurassic World. 
I'm really proud of you for going on this trip. You're gonna have so much fun. And remember, if something chases you, We have learned more in the past decade from genetics than a century of digging up bones. A whole new frontier has opened up. We have our first genetically modified hybrid. We just went and made a new dinosaur? Probably not a good idea. Almost 40 feet high. Really think she climbed out? Depends. On what? What kind of dinosaur they cooked up in that lab? Evacuate the island. She's a highly intelligent animal. She will kill anything that moves. With us here for this segment, we have Dr. Walking Dead. Welcome back, sir. Hey, good to be here. <laughs> so, Kyle, you wanted to talk about <laughs> Jurassic World on Horror Movie Podcast. Tell us why. Yes. Well, I think that um, a, a movie like Jurassic World should be at least given a consideration from the perspective of a horror film, mm-hmm. uh, because I think in a lot of ways it's it kind of fulfills a lot of the uh, generic requirements of horror. There's uh, monsters. Depends, of course, how you define monsters. Uh, and there certainly is that sense of menace, uh, threat to life. Um, some of the things we, we talk about in, in the academic world, a little bit of uncanniness, disorientation, uh, kind of a, upsetting on many different levels. Um, so, so that's kind of, I think what I wanted to, to see what you guys think is a movie like Jurassic world. That is kind of this action adventure blockbuster film. Is it horror? Can we consider it uh, from that perspective? Mm-hmm. Nice. Well, um, Josh and doc, I, I wonder what you think about this. It seems to me that it is a Frankenstein story like through and through this particular this particular oh, sure. installment. Yeah, I, mean, I, I would. Even the first yeah. one has some Frankensteinian elements to <laughs> it. Obviously, just the fact that they're messing with nature and creating a monster. Um, but this one, you know, in particular, has some mad doctor action happening. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The idea of conjuring a monster out of thin air or out of these elements of nature is definitely Frankensteinian. But um, but to speak to Kyle's point, Kyle, I think you're right on the money, especially with this particular installment, more than the previous three Jurassic Park films, because the Indominus Rex is actually a monster. They don't just recreate a dinosaur. They actually build a monster with the intent that it is scarier and more frightening right. than a typical dinosaur. Yeah, and that that's where there's some some fun crossover with the Frankenstein story model um that it's not you know frankenstein was trying to create life out of hubris he kind of basically wanted to see if he could do it uh, he wanted to see if he could be god 
and and Jurassic World is so interesting because the the monster is created for profit. It's created to increase attendance at the park. It's to placate the desires of the public that aren't satisfied with dinosaurs, which is like, really? Uh, <laughs> herbivores are too boring for you, huh? Uh, but yeah, it is that thing of, of the great of the great horror narrative. You mess with nature, you presume godlike authority, and your creation runs amok and tries to kill you and everybody you love. Uh, so on that hand, yes, absolutely, the Frankenstein angle, I think, is essential for understanding Jurassic World. But it's then it's just this great raw sense of, of you know, big, sharp, pointy teeth, monsters chasing you down, trying to eat you up. Mm-hmm. And, and I think especially because the menace is so categorically directed towards children. We've talked about that on, with other movies on the show. Yeah, uh, I think that does kind of make it uh, at least uh, a, a terror film. Uh, when I talk about the difference between horror and terror, I wouldn't call it so much horror in the academic sense because it is PG-13 and there's not a lot of blood and guts. Uh, but it's definitely got the terror aspect going on because it's it's the menace, you know, the threat and the chasing and the running and what would happen if they get caught. But there are some pretty horrific deaths as well, just uh, just light on the gore. Yeah, well, and not to split hairs or anything, but I would like to draw this out of you a little more, Kyle. So there are scenes, there are moments of blood splatter in this True. where it doesn't actually show you the the gory instance of the the bite, but you see like kind of aftermath blood splatter how do you feel about that do you think that that would qualify this film in a technical sense as a mild horror film uh probably i mean blood splatter has become so ubiquitous today that it doesn't really it it's it's just kind of like expected and it's pretty tame i think horror really at the level that we talk about when we talk about horror films is really more about blood and guts and kind of the viscera and the, the, the dismemberment and, and real bodily trauma. Whereas blood is kind of a, a signifier that bodily trauma took place, but it's not really the bodily trauma itself. Okay. Uh, I think that the, the death of the kind of absentee nanny, it was to me was the most horrific Yes, uh, yeah. because she was killed over a protracted period of time <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. by nu- by numerous creatures, uh, and I thought they really kind of, I think they pushed it pretty far for PG thirteen. Um, I was a little concerned that my kids would would find that very disturbing. Yeah, it disturbed uh, me. I I actually found it legitimately scary. I found that disturbing, and as I mentioned on Movie Podcast Weekly, my seven-year-old laughed during that scene. (laughs) Yeah, that's also disturbing. (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to say, my my kids not being disturbed by it is what disturbed me. I love that the poster um, of Jurassic World has this giant underwater dinosaur coming up upon an unsuspecting gray white shark. And, you know, obviously calls to mind Jaws and this movie saying, look, we're bigger than we're bigger than Jaws. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that's a pretty that shows a certain amount of hubris. Um, But, you know, I think you could look at that clearly, you know, just in the blockbuster way. But I would honestly say that that dinosaur is 
pretty freaking terrifying, uh, the underwater dinosaur in this movie. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Uh, Dr. Shock, have you seen Jurassic World yet? No, I have not, unfortunately. Oh, okay. Now, we had, there was a little bit of discussion about our about our potential discussion of this film um, on the horror pod, horror movie podcast.com message boards. And we've got a, a few different uh, comments here that I was going to read. One was from Levi, the unknown murderer. He says, as far as Jurassic world goes, I'm looking forward to hearing your review on that one, but not on this podcast uh-huh. It has the genetic freaks, but I watched it and I found myself wishing I could see an all out R rated version of such a story mm-hmm. with mass carnage. It just wasn't horrifying at mm-hmm. all. Um, David followed that up with a comment and he said, with regard to Jurassic World not being horrifying, I'm curious how it might measure up to your assessments of the other movies in the franchise. Um, would you say that it's tamer and less horrific than the original movie, or do you consider none of them to have teeth in that regard? And so I was curious what you guys might say about hmm. that, because I do feel like at least the first film, there are several scenes for me that operate as a horror movie. Um, the suspense to me builds yeah. As a horror movie, um, the two that I think of in particular are the water scene, the yeah. famous water scene with the T-Rex, and also the kitchen velociraptor scene. To me, those yeah, right. feel like scenes that could be in a horror movie. Definitely. Those would be the two that would leap to mind for me as well. Yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, I think that the original movie would fall more into the line of what we talk about with horror I think the the latest movie falls more in line with the the Frankenstein legend. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think there are diff- two different versions of horror, uh, sure. and I would say the middle two films don't really work for me on either level. <laughs> what do you say, Jason? Is a big fan of the middle two films. <laughs> what in terms of like horror? Yeah. Well, uh, like I would say, the first movie uses horror tension. Uh, yeah. And the the most recent movie, as we said, has you know horror thematic elements. What would you say of the of the middle two films? Yeah, I I would say no because huh, it's funny because like the end of the second one has a touch of Godzilla to it, which is very shaky ground if you want to talk about horror. But like honestly, of the four. This fourth one, Jurassic World, is the only one that I would even consider classifying as horror. For the reasons that Kyle said, I think it is, it really draws upon the genre. Um, whereas, I think if we're going to say scares, though, the first film feels mm. scarier to me than the new yeah. movie. And, I would agree with that, yeah. And, yeah. The, and to speak to Kyle's point about uh, what he said about viscera and so forth, I mean, we actually have a severed arm in the first film. Right. The first scene in the second film for me works very well as a horror scene. Um, I think it's really actually quite scary, and it, it gets me every time I watch the movie. You mean with mm. Kathy, darling? With the little, the little girl. The little girl, the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Kathy, That's scary darling. to me. It is, it is. And um, I kind of, I, I was a little disappointed in that movie that they wussed out, and later in the exposition, John Hammonds had to reassure everyone, oh, she's okay now, she's okay. Mm. But yeah. but I don't know. Kyle sounded disappointed in me for saying not that. in you. No, I'm just. It was a a grunt of acknowledgement. Oh, okay. I see. Right. <laughs> I thought you're like sicko. But uh, somebody on Movie Podcast <laughs> Weekly said something to the effect of, um, "It seems like in future Jurassic Park films that you know more central characters are going to have to be eaten." 
Yeah. You know, it because in order to do something new and different, and I wonder if they're going to go that way, because this one definitely upped the ante, I think, and pushing the limits a little bit, and I just wonder if they're going to get darker. What do you guys think? Mm. I think uh, the potential's there, because we see this with franchises where they, they try to grow with the audience. So if this movie is going to start grabbing 9 to 14-year-olds, then when the second movie comes out, you know, they're going to be older and they're going to want more. But, I mean, in, in an interesting parallel, it's just going to be the same thing that in the film caused them to create the hybrid monster is, you know, <laughs> bigger, louder, meaner, bloodier. Yes. that That's going to be the push. So, yeah, I, I think that's probably where they're going to have to go. Yeah, I agree. Now, let's talk about the creature design of the Indominus Rex. Go ahead, Kyle. Tell us what you thought about that design. Well, I'll be honest. I I was a little disappointed because to me, it was basically a T-Rex. Yes. Right. Now, I know they yes. were going for it's got all these other things, and they had this really cool chameleon effect that we saw once. Uh, and then it was just kind of like, oh, big T-Rex. So I, I didn't see enough uh, of the, the variation to really make it into something that's abominable. Yeah. In in the world that they had established in Jurassic Park, in which uh, T Rex creatures are the norm, uh, so I, I think they could have pushed the envelope much further with the creature design. I'd heard before I saw the movie that you know this new creature was going to have super long arms, and I imagined that looking really weird uh, and kind of and kind of creepy and you know uncanny, but it didn't hmm. really have that. Was, I mean, it, they were longer than the T Rex, but yeah, barely. Not in a like really <laughs> grotesque way. <laughs> well, when I was watching it, when they kept talking about the secret genetic code, um, I thought it was going to be human. And that's where I thought we were going to get a little of this alien resurrection thing, <laughs> where it's the monster, but it's got the human element. And, the, the, and the, then it was like, oh, it's part... And I was like, oh, pfft. that's lame. Yeah. That should have been the first thing you tell us, since that's what we expect that it's going to be. Well, honestly, and, and yeah. yeah, that's supposed to be this reveal toward the end, and I apologize, Doc, about that. But, like, honestly, I thought, well, of course. I mean, I, I expected that all along. I mean, it wasn't even a revelation, really. No, it was, it was, there's got to be a term for that. Obvious. <laughs> well, they, they build up to this great reveal, and there's nothing to be revealed. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of cool, but and and we won't um we won't reveal. There are some neat things that go along with it that are kind of surprises. So I'm looking forward for you to see it, Doctor Shock. I think you'll enjoy yeah, I'm, that. Yeah, I'm but. looking forward to it. Looking forward to it myself. Yeah, I will say it was it was very entertaining. Um, I enjoyed it. My children, of course, loved it. Um, I I it's my second favorite of the franchise. Mm -hmm. um, I think it's a film that really needs to be enjoyed in the theater. Yes. Um, so, so I'll push all those directions. Um, but as far as horror goes, I would say it's a it's a horror film in the style and tradition of Frankenstein, but not horror in terms of you know violence and gore and scares. I got you. Okay. And uh, what do you rate Jurassic World then, Kyle Bishop? Uh, I think I'd give it an eight. And I would say this is probably a good one to own, especially if you're a fan of the of the genre. And you already said people should see it in the theater, right? 
Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. And uh, Josh, now that we're, you know, a couple weeks out and now that we're on horror movie podcast, do you want to do anything different with your rating or do you want to stick to the same? No, yeah, I just can uh, encourage people to listen to our discussion of this and the entire franchise on Movie Podcast Weekly. If you're interested in these films, we had a great discussion, I think. We covered all four movies, and um, I'd stick by my rating. I give it an 8.5. I said, see it in the theater and buy it. So I pretty much back up everything Kyle said. I I, I think this is interesting that it plays with these horror themes, but I don't feel like there's anything particularly horrific in this film that stands out above and beyond what the other films have established. And like I said earlier, I think the first film is the scariest of the bunch. Hmm. That's interesting. I'm really intrigued to hear you say that because honestly, um, I think, I think this film was scarier for me. Uh, and and well, I don't... you watch the other movie once a week, so I'm sure it's lost <laughs> its impact on you in terms of scares. That's true, but I, I'm actually comparing by memory because it was so memorable the first time I saw it. I remember, you know, seeing it then in '93 and, and then seeing this movie now. I was I was very exhilarated. I have to tell people I am unashamedly I, I, I'm so in love. I love this movie. I love it. It's a 9 out of 10 for me. I say see it in the theater and buy it. I'm actually going to see it again. I'm going to take my whole family to see it again on my birthday. I can't wait. So this is a see it in theaters twice kind of movie. And, I agree. I agree. And as Ooh. for whether it's horror, Josh, um, you know, I would say it definitely incorporates horror into it. I, I wouldn't put it right out there as a horror movie for horror fans to scare you, but I think it is a monster movie, clearly. It's an interesting discussion. I think a great paper, as Kyle often says, could be written about the Jurassic Park movies as horror movies. Yeah, that would be it'd be worth exploring if anybody mm-hmm. wants to. Yeah. So, what, where do you fall on it, Josh? Is is this Jurassic World? Is it a horror movie? Oh no! I mean, I I, I don't think so. I mean, I think, like I said, I think there's some interesting thematic elements there. <clears throat> I don't think it operate. I think it operates as a blow 'em up popcorn blockbuster primarily though. I mean I, I think in the sense that they're creating monsters you know within the world of Jurassic Park you know I, I see why you would call it a monster movie um, but knowing that we're in this world that we're very familiar with I, again I don't think it stands out amongst the pack I got you the okay. pack of velociraptors yeah exactly, <laughs> exactly. the well trained pack of velociraptors mm-hmm. <laughs> So, Dr. Shock, when are you going to see this in the theaters? I'm hoping soon. I'm I'm so behind. I, I haven't seen the – I didn't get a chance to see the new Mad Max movie yet. And I'm uh, and, and this is this is one that my kids are really pushing me to see. So I'm this hoping I get the, a chance to see it very soon. Great one to see with your kids. I don't know yeah. if yeah, that, I would that, take my kids to see really, Fury they're Road. Anxious but. To, they're anxious. <laughs> but it's they're, awesome, they're too. They're anxious to see it. They're anxious to see it. Nice. Well, <laughs> well we, my, my kids are fans of the um of of the Road Warrior. They like that movie too. So, well, but, but they really they, they they were pushing to def, they they were pushing to see this one. So uh, hopefully soon, because as it wears on, you know, once we get closer, the the one they Ant Man comes out, they really want to see that one too. So once that comes out, who knows? So I'm hoping to get it in before that. And Dave's kids are older than ours, Josh. So. Yeah. 
They probably yeah. handle Fury Road better than ours would. <laughs> but Fury Road right. and uh, Jurassic World would be a high octane double feature, I think. If you sat down, oh. you'd be you'd have a lot of adrenaline pumping through your body on that day. Oh man, <laughs> yeah, you could say that again. All right, well, um, Doctor Shock, when you do see it, we'd love to hear your rating and your oh, thoughts absolutely. on it. So let us absolutely. know. And yeah, so uh, th- that's our conclusion here of uh, our Jurassic World review. Anything else, Kyle? Any final thoughts before we wrap this one up? No, it's a good conversation. I think uh, I think it'll give people who are going for the first time uh, something to look for, and people going the second time a little more to think about. Okay. Yes. It's more of a horror movie than some of the others we're going to talk about on this episode. <laughs> that's hilarious. <laughs> All right, so you what you just listened to was our Jurassic World review on Horror Movie Podcast with Kyle Bishop, Dr. Walking Dead. And we're back again here with William Rowan Jr. and Wolfman Josh at the moment. And William Rowan Jr., I am dying to hear what you thought of Jurassic World. So it's been a while since I, I mean, I saw it the weekend it came out. I haven't thought about it much since. But my initial memory is I love the first Jurassic Park. I think it is pretty much, it's definitely a classic. I think it's one of, it's a perfect movie for what it was trying to execute in its genre. I mean, I just think it's, I think it's so well done. I love the style of Steven Spielberg. That's him at his, at his best. Um, all of the sequels after that are not near the same. The second one, you know, they're, it's close, but it just doesn't have the same. I don't think it's the same level. I'm just giving them my overview. So now we get, to, and it just gets worse after that. So now we're into Jurassic World. What they did from my experience was they went back to the basic formula of the first one, which I think was a smart move as in like, oh, look, this it worked so good the first time with Jurassic Park. Let's just go back to that same kind of setup and how the plot and threat develops in general. And so I was like, I thought that worked. But the thing was, is we've seen it in Jurassic Park. Like Jurassic Park is so good. So it's kind of like, well, and now we've just got this updated threat. It's bigger. It's clearly on scale, much bigger dinosaurs and bigger, you know, containments. And uh, I enjoyed the theater experience in IMAX very much. Highly recommend seeing it in theaters. But it's I still nothing compared to the first Jurassic Park. So other than that, is there something specific you would like me to? Well, I, yeah, I do have something for you to respond to here. And it's just my little P.S. I got to see this again a second time in the theater. And I took my family, my wife, who's very sensitive to horror, as everybody knows, and my seven-year-old and four-year-old daughter. You took a four-year-old to this? Yes, I did. Oh, okay. Yes. So did I. Nice. And in fact, everybody I know took their little kids of that age to it. Um, Yeah, but I'll tell you what. Your reaction, I sense here, William, is um, similar to my wife's because (laughs) my wife was furious with me um, pretty early in the film, and I was worried she was going to storm out of there and take my daughter because she was mad felt like it was too intense but um my personal belief is that um there's nothing in this film that's more severe than what we see in the original trilogy which my four-year-old has seen a million times the only reason i bring all this up and bore people with it is more than ever as we've just stated in this previous review here with kyle 
this thing is without question built like a horror film and I think the reason it affected my wife and my daughter the way it did my son loved it is because of of the structure of it and how the tone is horror film tone what do you say William well what is the question do you just want me to say is that do I concur (laughs) yeah I mean maybe you disagree but do you think that this one is built more like a horror film I did not I did not think that when I saw it. I have not seen it. I need to see it again to really look at that. I knew I do know that there was one kill very specifically that clearly was the most horrific kill in the movie or segment or scene and that was the one scene that I thought I'm glad I did not take my 4-year-old I would not want him to see this one scene at all did at, it, in, in any way. Did it involve a pterodactyl? I believe that's how it begins. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. Yes. But I felt like the tone of it, of especially the victim, was very intense, I think, for a little kid to experience. Yeah. yeah. It, it, would, it would be like, if you, I need my child to be exposed to the horror cinema genre as soon as possible so that I can indoctrinate them immediately with everything else that comes along with it. This is a great starter. In fact, it's an amazing horror appetizer. Definitely bring your kids if that's your goal. (laughs) Well, what you said is very profound because, uh, yes, the the terror that is experienced and displayed by this victim is... um, is very palpable and I will admit I will confess this that during this time with my kids sitting beside me being aware of them watching this I was cringing and thinking my wife's going to strike me at any moment but but yeah you're right about that there is that that scene is super intense and it's the scariest kill in the film probably just cover up their eyes like I did if you were so worried about your wife um <laughs> did you know it was coming did oh yeah 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 oh. i had seen it well the, but the thing is my daughter was just like cower she was up on my wife's lap facing the other way and the, the thing is i'm telling you guys i'm telling you my daughter actually had a good time it was just that it's loud it's super loud in the theater and the scene is intense so that kind of spooked her just how loud it was but we're gonna buy this film and People out there can think I'm a terrible father, but she's going to watch it over and over of her own volition, and she's going to love it. She loves the first three films. She likes it when dinosaurs eat people. So I, I totally <laughs> see. I understand that completely. In fact, I think you qualified for the exact premise of what I set up. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like you need your kids to get into this quickly so that you they can be used to it and comfortable with it and love it, right? Right, right. Yeah, sure. Yeah, she's been watching Monster House since she's a baby, so. Yeah, sure. <laughs> anyway, Josh does it too. I know he's being quiet, but he indoctrinates his kids into horror as well. Nothing wrong with a good sense of fear in your child. <laughs> yeah, right. I, co- I cover their eyes, though. I don't know what you're thinking. <laughs> so you covered their eyes in this movie? Yeah, I just said that with the, with uh, Kyle. I covered. There were several moments when I covered my kid's eyes. Oh, Maybe okay. I didn't say it with Kyle. I could be forgetting. I definitely said it in our uh, movie podcast weekly review. I got you. Okay. But there were there were three or four moments where I covered their eyes. And I did that in the original. I showed them the originals to prepare them and did the same thing there. 
Oh, and can I say I really like Chris Pratt, even though I could see why people hate him in this. I, I think I know what they're picking up on. But for some reason, I have a huge, weird man crush bias on Chris Pratt. I just yeah. think he's really cool. And the problem is that at the same time, though, the reason why this is no Jurassic Park is there are scenes where it's just so crazy ridiculous. Like, it's just next level. Like, what is, why is this, why does this premise work? <laughs> where he's like on a motorcycle and he's got his, you know, his friends with him and they're all kind of like, you know, I, I mean, they set it up like it's supposed to make sense, but I had a really hard time suspending my disbelief for some reason. So. <laughs> That was my favorite scene in the movie. I wish there was 20 more minutes of that movie. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, Josh Legary, there's a, this is a side note. If you haven't heard it yet, you have got to hear the Slash Filmcast review of Jurassic World. Um, specifically, um, Jeff Kanata, their new co-host, <laughs> he, he talks about that scene that we're referring to with from the totally rad show he's on the show now yeah he is now um okay their their co-host there on the slash film cast and he's hilarious as you know but in in his jurassic world review i was crying laughing because he talks about that scene with the um velociraptors and you've got to hear it because i just cried laughing if people want to hear that anyways william rowan jr what do you rate jurassic world oh man uh oh i don't know uh i'm gonna okay sorry really caught me off guard uh i'm gonna say uh oh an eight and see it in theaters because it's one of those spectacles that it's made for the cinema big screen and i think that's the best way to experience it Mm -hmm. after it's out of theaters though if they hear this podcast a couple months from now you say rent it or buy it? Uh, I don't know. Uh, if you love Jurassic Park and everything about the whole world, as in the series, or you know, the whole series, or all any all of them. If you even if you let me phrase this, if you own <laughs> any of the movies other than the Jurassic Park first one, then yeah, you got to buy it. Got to. Okay. <laughs> Good answer. All right, well, I think that just about wraps up episode 61 of Horror Movie Podcast. We thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this episode. I want to thank our special guest, Mr. Kill Bill Kill, William Rowan Jr., a.k.a. Solo of the Sci-Fi Podcast, for being here tonight. William, thanks. It was a pleasure. And tell us all your plugs where listeners can follow and find you. Yeah, so as usual, uh, if if the listeners could go to horrormoviepodcast.com, which is this podcast, and go to the right sidebar, if you scroll down in little teeny print somewhere, you'll eventually see the Movie Podcast Network, which uh, involves, of course, the head vampire horror movie podcast, and you've got the short round movie streamcast, and you've got, you're going to need a bigger boat, the Movie Podcast Weekly, and let the looky win the sci-fi podcast so these are all podcasts that are part of this little network here and (laughs) i believe and would like everyone to you know go listen to them they're all movie podcasts and they all have their own thing they're great subscribe to them listen to them and it helps us all out it keeps all of this going and i just wanted to say thank you for for tuning in it's been 
been nice. All right. What about you, Dave? What are your plugs? Uh, same as always. Thank you, uh, William, for coming uh, coming on this episode uh, and, and telling your story. That was excellent. Check me out at uh, uh, same old places, dvdinfatuation.com, um, at dvdinfatuation on Twitter. Um, and if you check out the show notes, you can get to the link uh, to my Facebook page. And... Uh, yeah, I had, I, had, uh, I, had, I had fun with this. I had fun uh, discussing these movies tonight. All right, and Wolfman Josh. Um, just check me out here at Horror Movie Podcast, um, Movie Streamcast. Uh, occasionally I have a sci-fi podcast. Occasionally I have Movie Podcast Weekly. I'm on Twitter, at Icarus Arts. Come hit me up there, and we will have some fun conversations. And thanks, everyone, for listening. Before I get to my plugs real quick, I just want to make sure I give a special thank you to Eric Nelson for his generous donation. He wanted to support Horror Movie Podcast, and I sincerely, gratefully appreciate that. In fact, we all appreciate it. That helps the show to keep going. Now, um, the other thing I wanted to say is I know that I promised some artwork on the shirts, and it's seriously, I have it. I just I'm waiting on the t-shirt place to send me those proofs so I can post them and show you what the shirts look like. So The t-shirts are a reality, I promise you that. Uh, As for plugs, I want people to check out Movie Podcast Weekly because on episode 144, I believe it was, my co-hosts and I bring you 20 movie masterpieces. These are movies that we think are masterpieces. And no, we didn't go over the usual like Citizen Kane, Godfather, and all that stuff. We tried to pick films that were not necessarily hailed or widely considered masterpieces. So if you love the cinema... Make sure you check that out. Now, it it is an all-genre kind of movie podcast, not just horror. But I will say, Jay of the Dead was representing, and I uh, included a horror masterpiece as well in my picks. So anyway, make sure you check that out. It's moviepodcastweekly.com, episode 144. So we want you to know that we're really grateful for your comments. We've had tremendous response to Josh's episodes, like 150-some comments. Um, Just incredible. Thank you. You can get involved in this remarkable community, horror movie podcast community. You can either leave us a comment in the show notes for any of these episodes, or you can email us at horrormoviepodcast at gmail.com. And I say it every week, but uh, we are going to put together a really nice listener feedback show coming up soon. You can call and leave us a voicemail at 801-382-8789. And you can find all of our back episodes, including all 61 episodes of Horror Movie Podcast, as well as the archives of the weekly Horror Movie Podcast and Horror Metropolis at our website, horrormoviepodcast.com. You can subscribe free in iTunes, and you can follow us on Twitter at HorrorMovieCast. I want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find more of Fred's music at FrederickIngram.com. And I think that's just about it. We'll have all this stuff linked in the show notes for episode 61 here. Uh, We thank you for listening, and you can join us again next Friday for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies.
A great big tree. A great big tree. Oh golly gee. Oh golly gee. Ahead of me I saw a tree. A great big tree. 